Meanwhile, the Captain Adam Conspiracy. Welcome to the Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This is another of our Meanwhile episodes. Now, these Meanwhile installments break from the usual numbered issues to provide a chance to look at the JLI outside of the ongoing monthly series. And in this case, we're going to look at Captain Adam and his activities while he was spying on the JLI. By the way, my name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I am not alone. Every episode, I invite a friend along to help me cover the topic at hand. And my guest today is another international guest and currently a prolific writer of comic book reviews. Now, back in the 1990s, he served as an editor for the UK reprint series Superman Magazine, which included several reprints of the JLI. He also happens to be an extremely nice guy, though please, please don't tell him I said that. I do not want to swell his already enormous ego. And he's also an Englishman. Trapped in Scotland, which I continue to tease him about endlessly. Folks, please help me welcome Mr. Martin Gray. Welcome to the Embassy, Martin. Thanks for being here. Hello, Shag. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's wonderful to finally talk. We've known each other online now for several years. This is our first chance to actually speak uh, person to person. It's wonderful. It's been my dream, honestly. <laughs> I'm just glad we're able to get a translator available so I can understand what you're saying. <laughs> you cheeky, cheeky bugger. <laughs> anyway, it's just a lovely day over here in Scotland. I, will, uh, I could do with a holiday somewhere sunny with a caring ruler, perhaps. <laughs> It would be nice, wouldn't it? You know, almost as if like a desert had been transformed into a wonderful tourist uh, location, maybe? Perhaps. I, I don't know. If, if I think of any way, I'll let you know. Okay. Martin's showing his hand for our topic of the day, which is a little different because, you know, again, we normally cover JLI issues here. But we are going to take some time to talk about Captain Adam in a very specific sense and how it relates to the JLI. Now, before we get too far into that, though, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the JLI podcast is sponsored in part by InStock Trade. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Each episode, we select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStock Trades library. Usually, it's uh, related to this month's discussion in some way, shape, or form. Now, uh, Martin, all the cool kids from all the previous episodes have brought a selection. Did you happen to bring one? I do have a selection. Would you like to know what it is? I'm on the edge of my seat. Tell me, please, what is your selection? Well, my InStock Trades recommendation is is The Fall and Rise of Captain Atom. Ah. That's a trade paperback collecting last year's six-issue miniseries of the same name. It's written by the super-talented Carrie Bates and Greg Wiseman, who penned most of the post-crisis Captain Atom series, which ties into the JLI and JLE issues we'll be discussing today. And it's drawn by the incomparable Will Conrad, with gorgeous colours by Ivan Nunes. It's a tweaked take on the 80s series, with echoes of previous storylines, but plenty of surprises along the way. One of the best DC ones of the last year, I'd say, it was roundly ignored by it or sent major force round to organize your fridge. <laughs> now, if I remember right, that was basically sort of a course correction, right, for Captain Adam, because he had his new 52 series, which took him in a, like a Dr. Manhattan direction, and then this was to put him more on the regular track of Captain Adam from post-crisis. Is that fair to say? I would say so, yeah. The, the new 52 series was a bit of a mess, to say the least, okay. and this really, really did it. Sort of, If you like the original Captain, well, the original Captain Adam, the revamped Captain Adam to the 1980s, you'll probably love this. There was one thing I was waiting for to happen all the way through the series that perhaps never did happen. 
happen in the end, but I love the book from start to finish, and I would really, really recommend reading it. I mean, it's $16.99 regular price, in-stock trade price $9.85, and that is a saving of an amazing 42% once more. But sadly, I don't know what the price is in Bialion. <laughs> A lot of sweat and labor for for the Queen Bee, I think, is what you have to do. You give up your soul. <laughs> oh, good Lord. She can have it. She's wondrous. <laughs> she is. She's Oh, she's gorgeous. So, yeah, and this was also part of a series of things where DC was trying to, again, course correct the characters. Like, they brought back a lot of the classic writers. And as you said, they brought back Carrie Bates and Greg Weissman, uh, who covered the, all the comics we're going to talk about today. And Firestorm, they did something similar. They, they brought Firestorm back to basics with Jerry Conway at the same time. So they were really trying to get their characters back on a more iconic footing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, my pick for today, because Martin took the only good Captain Adam trade paperback in the entire in-stock trades library right now. Thanks for that, Martin. I picked Wonder Woman Woman and the Justice League America, trade paperback volume two. Now, this collects Justice League International number 65 and 66, which is, it gets confusing, folks. This is the old Justice League Europe book that became Justice League International. I know, makes your head spin. Uh, And then Justice League America, number 86 through 91, and Justice League Task Force 13 through 14. And basically what this collects is the Judgment Day crossover, which the reason why I picked it is because the Judgment Day crossover leads directly into Extreme Justice. And Extreme Justice, of course, was led by Captain Adam. So, it's got a lot of different stories going on in here. The big thing, though, again, is where they fight the Overmaster. He appeared in the Justice League Detroit era, comes back for Judgment Day, and it's a it's kind of a fun read. It's by Dan Vado as the writer, Kevin J. West is the artist. It's 276 pages. It's very much a good artifact of comics from the 1990s. Uh, it was normally $24.99. You can get it for $40 percent off right now, which is $14.49, which is really quite a deal. I would suggest you pick it up. It's got a lot of comics in there, 276 pages. It's fun. And Wonder Woman leading the Justice League, which is always great. And I uh, give you an idea what, what the Justice Leagues were like in the 90s. You know, you've made me want to reread that again. Thank you. Absolutely. I loved the Dan Vado run at the time. I've gone back and forth since then on whether I love it or not, but it's definitely worth a reread. Folks, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. So, as I've been saying, this is going to be a very different episode of the show where we're going to dive into Captain Adam and talk about a lot of issues, really dive deep into the annual number two is, is really the focus is really going to be. We're going to talk about annual number two, but leading up to that, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of Captain Adam issues and how that related to the JLI. And we want to hear your thoughts. We want to know your thoughts on Captain Adam, how you feel about him being a spy against the JLI. Give us your feedback. So go out on the social medias, use our hashtag pound FW podcasts, or you can tag us, which is the at symbol and JLI podcast or Justice League International Blahaha podcast on Facebook. Because this is all about building a community of online JLI fans around these topics, around these characters, and so we want to continue to grow the community. All right, folks, this is the part of the show where we have a chat with a guest, and normally I try and figure out some clever way to insult the guest. Uh, I'm struggling at the moment. (laughs) There's nothing you can possibly insult me about. I am perfect. (laughs) I love the modesty. I love the modesty. Deserved. <laughs> Let's just do it then. All right, Sir Martin of Grey, uh, what is your own personal origin with the JLI and Captain Adam specifically? Now, how did you discover the books or the characters, and how did you fall in love with them? Well, I've been reading Justice League of America stories since I was about eight years old, which is many, many, many decades ago, <laughs> beginning with very early Silver Age stuff that I inherited from a neighbour because I used to babysit for her. Aww. And I quickly began buying the new issues that appeared in the UK news agents. My first was 98 with a terrific sock and the Sorcerer cover, followed by Justice League of America 100, which you may know that one. That's an Earth 2 crossover, right? That's the one, yeah. It was just the most amazing. I didn't know who half of these characters were, but I just opened it and it was just a whole new world. I was really, really bizarre out by this white-dressed chick claiming to be Wonder Woman. 
Legends. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah, but you also get Dr. Fate, and that's interesting for us because you get Elongated Man and Metamorpho in an issue together, which is sort of hints of future JLE. It was. It was a total treat. Metamorpho said yes this time. Yes, for the Justice League Europe, he absolutely did. Yes. <laughs> was, it, was it him or Black Lightning was the first one to turn I guess it was Metamorpho was the first one to turn down the Justice League, I right? think it was Metamorpho, yes. No. I'm sure someone would put us right, but I think it was Metamorpho. 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 Still greatest song ever. Plastic Man. There you go. <laughs> but I totally interrupted your story. Not that I really care that much. Please continue telling me about England. Oh, joy. Oh, yes. Well, there I was in a little place called County Durham in England, and I bought JLA 100. I kept buying through the Super Spectacular era. I went right through the Satellite era onto the Detroit years, and I was on board for the forming of the new Justice League after Legends. And given that it was only a few years since the end of the Satellite team era, I didn't have the great nostalgia for them that's developed since then. The Boahaha team was simply the latest development for the world's greatest superheroes. In fact, it was a couple of years before we even got the Boahaha. True. I love the new mix of heroes, and I was especially excited to see the underused heroic Doctor Light, mm. Earth 2 favourite Doctor Fate, and the wonderful, wonderful Captain Marvel, that's his name, folks, accept no substitutes, join the team. <laughs> so you really latched on to characters who didn't hang around, is what you're telling me. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. They knew I liked them, they removed them. <laughs> and then a few years later, I actually got to work with the team, in a sense, representing their stories in British comics after being given a job at a company called Egmont UK. And today I've still got huge affection for the Giffen de Matissiers, even if the Boaha harness of it all outstayed its welcome by a year or two. I was ready for a change by around the time of Kui Kui Kui. Aww, that's a shame. But I, this does give me an opportunity to actually say this to you, not just through email, but thank you so, so very much. Martin was kind enough to send me all the way from England, across the seas in a boat or a plane or something. He sent me uh, several copies of Superman and Justice League magazine, which reprinted the Justice League International issues in gorgeous like magazine size with beautiful coloring and just, they're so cool. And I, I can't tell you how much those mean to me. And I love them. And I was just looking at them again the other day. So thank you so very much, Martin. That was incredibly generous of you. So you're very welcome. It was the best job I ever had. It was just wonderful picking the stories, but even better was just putting the letter columns together, you know, being the voice in italics, talking to the readers. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, again, building a community sort of, you know, organizing the letters, running letters by certain people, encouraging things, and readers are the best. That's why I love the listener feedback segments. That's why I insist on doing them. I, I, I hear from people every once in a while that say they fast forward the listener feedback section, but guys, it is so amazing communicating with y'all and having you be part of the show to me. I mean, I wouldn't do the show if it weren't for y'all without having having y'all's feedback on it. It really, really is the best. But um, back to Captain Atom. I mean, I first came across Captain Atom in the black and white UK reprints from a company called Adam Class, which used to sort of mix stories from Charlton Comics, Marvel Comics, Atlas Comics. You never knew what you were going to get in there, different hmm. order. Nothing ever continued from issue to issue. So Captain Atom would pop up occasionally. I'd read the odd stories and titles such as Sinister Tales and Secrets of the Unknown. But I was so young, believe it or not, that they didn't make much impression. My first real Captain Atom stories after we popped up in the Crisis on Infinite Earths ah. were those in the Captain Atom series featuring the all new all shiny retconned trap I like that all new all shiny <laughs> now for myself because I, I guess I have to answer this question since this is a different format my first exposure to the pre-crisis version of Captain Atom was probably in Crisis you know although he didn't really play that big of a role but I, you know I saw him in panels here and there as he appeared whatever but really my where I became more familiar with that version of the character was in DC Comics Presents number 90 which was across a team up of super Superman, Captain Atom, and Firestorm. It's not particularly an old beloved issue, but that was the first time I saw him and learned his origin and that kind of stuff. And then um, for the post-crisis Captain Atom, I was not there at the launch of Captain Atom. In fact, I didn't read the Captain Atom series until much, 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 much later, kind of 
recent to now, actually. But I, at the time, I did pick up Captain Adam number five because once again, Firestorm was involved. And Firestorm's I and him have a huge fight on the cover, so I picked up that issue. And so anytime Firestorm basically dropped into Captain Adam, I was picking it up. So that was where my familiarity of the character came from. And then he joined the Justice League, and I knew him from there, but really didn't know much about him in his own series. Oh, I've actually completely forgotten that DC Comics Presents issue, which that was around the time that they completely messed up Superman's logo on the cover, so it just upset me. <laughs> well, not just that, the, the issue shouldn't have existed, because if I remember, I'm trying, I might have my dates wrong, so don't yell at me at home, folks, but I think that came out after Crisis Number 12, and yet it was before the Captain Adam revamp, so it was a, basically a version of Captain Adam that never should have existed in post-crisis. It was that post-crisis cooling period where things weren't done percolating and changing yet. Yeah, there was a lot of comics like that, wasn't there? Yeah, Hawkman kept that going for years. I think that's still going, Shag. <laughs> Any chance I have of taking a dig at that? <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. Martin, who is your favorite JLI character? Now, what I need you to do is narrow it down to either one to three or so. Um, most people can't seem to count at three and stop there. I know you're from England, living in Scotland, so it's crazy. You got all kinds of different math there and probably have like six toes. I don't know. Can you keep it down to a few? Is that possible? Was it nine characters you like? Oh, my gosh. Scottish math. Ugh. <laughs> it's not English maths with an S. Oh, gosh. That's right. <laughs> I'll try and keep it to three. I only like three. It's the magic number. That's right. I was well. May I have none of General Glory? He's not around at this point. So let's let's ixnir on the General Glory. He's absolutely valid, though. Just because he hasn't premiered in the, in the series doesn't make him invalid. Well, I think someone else is bound to want him. So I think I will have Martian Manhunter because, again, he just had a relaunch I didn't enjoy. So, <laughs> so Martian Manhunter, I mean, I do not subscribe to this modern notion that he's the heart and soul of the League because he wasn't a member for about 15 years straight during the satellite era, pretty much the whole of the Bronze Age. But the League always feels at its best when he's standing for and centre. In this version of the team, he served as a straight man and comedic character at the same time, and he's seen right at home eating his biscuits. In fact, he introduced me to Oreos. Biscuits for those of you at home are cookies, because British people don't know how to talk right. Oh yeah, biscuits in America is some kind of rock-hard breakfast item? Uh, if they're not cooked properly, they're rock-hard. If they are cooked properly, you slap some gravy on them, and it's the best thing ever. Oh, good lord, you need re-educating, Mara. Come to England, <laughs> come to Scotland, I'll sort you out. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that, actually. That'd be fun. We have a spare room. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, I, I thought you had house guests right now. Sadly, not just two cats. I'd also like to say, as a favourite Justice League member of this era, Fire, mm. Beatrice, Beatrice, even, because she's got a great visual power, she had a fun look, and a tremendous personality. Like me, she was sparky, fun, but sharp as a tack. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it, and I'm glad you mentioned the sharpest attack. She, yeah, people forget, yes, she's sexy and gorgeous and vivacious, but she is very smart. She doesn't show it. She doesn't demonstrate it often because she likes to put people on the back foot thinking she's dumb. But in reality, she's very, very smart. She does. She does. I mean, those of us who are gorgeous are so easily misjudged. <laughs> You must know this, Shag. Yeah, I deal with it all the time myself. All the time. It's such a burden. <laughs> and my, my third, my third favourite Justice Leaguer, I would say Guy Gardner. You know, the guy who could start an argument in an empty room. But a hero <laughs> with so much heart. I mean, he made every issue of every comic he ever appeared in more interesting. Absolutely. Everyone loves Guy Gardner. In fact, you know what I think? I may have to adjust to this question in the future and just tell people they can't pick Guy Gardner or Beetle or Booster because those are the answers I usually get. So I'm, I'm thinking about in the future altering this question. So 
you snuck in just under the wire, sir. Well, at least I, I didn't do Beetle and Booster because I got sick of them together. Oh, really? Huh. You just don't like good things. That's the problem. This is why we can't have nice things, Martin. No, I love the characters individually. I love them together. But there was just too many storylines centered on them. Oh, that, that's maybe so. Maybe so. But, you know, when you're only reading 22 pages a month, it's not that bad. <laughs> that's very true. You're, you're so fair and so reasonable and so intelligent and incisive. It's this burden I bear where I'm incredibly handsome and gorgeous and, and smart, apparently. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and humble, and humble. All right, well, let's get into the topic at hand, folks. So the, the deal is, it, we're not just talking about the Captain and I'm serious because we feel like it. There is a specific reason. There was a conspiracy surrounding Captain Adam. Now, many of you at home are like, yeah, yeah, I know, because everyone remembers how Captain Adam was spying on the JLI, right? Captain Adam was the mole. Sure, we all knew that Captain Adam was secretly reporting to the U.S. government on the JLI activities. Or did we actually all know that? Because if you were just reading the JLI series and not the Captain Adam series, there's a really good chance you had no idea this was going on. There is almost no reference in the JLI series about him spying. It's all over in the Captain Adam series, which is crazy in hindsight. Uh, so the storyline, right, with Captain Adam spying is throughout his own series. starts with issue 10 and continues all the way to issue 28. And Captain Adam's covert government work does get a mention in Suicide Squad number 13, which is part of a JLI crossover. But the, even in that, they don't specifically say he's spying on the JLI. They just say he's working for the government. Again, nowhere in the JLI issues. The very first time Captain Adam spying on the JLI gets acknowledged in any of the JLI books is Justice League International Annual Number 3, which was published at the same time as uh, Justice League Europe Number 4. So that's nearly two years after he joined the team. So if you were just reading the JLI, or if you've been following along with this podcast by reading the Omnibus, you may have no idea that Captain Adam was secretly a dirty, rotten spy. Ooh. Now, were you reading Captain Adam at the time? Oh, well, yeah, I was reading it month in, month out, because I just loved the mix of soap operatics and superheroes. It was a really intriguing characters, good art, which is less good in retrospect. I seem to have changed my taste slightly. But yes, I was reading both Captain Adam and the JLI. So you knew about the spying. See, for me, I didn't... Now, I, again, I came to JLI later. I started with, uh, really, on a regular basis, Just League Europe, and then came back with Just League America. So I already knew the story that Captain Adam had been spying. So it, to me, it was just part of the story. And it wasn't until more recently that I realized it never appears in JLI at all. In fact, the the flip of Captain Adam getting revealed as the spy doesn't even happen in JLI. They just start talking about it one day. And again, in, in, two years after he's been on the team, they talk about how he was spying. It never gets brought up. So I thought that would be an interesting sort of artifact or piece of history for us to sit down and talk about. Now, Martin uh, approached me when I was scheduling this podcast months and months and months and months and months ago, right after pretty much the announcement of the show. And he picked a particular issue he wanted to cover, which was like four or five years down the line. So Martin and I, we were never going to get a chance to talk. You know, it was going to be ages. So when I got the idea to do this Captain Adam episode, I put it out there on social media. I was like, hey, who remembers the series? Martin was kind enough to raise his hand. Uh, so that's why we were burdened with this incredible beauty uh, of having Martin here today. <laughs> we may have read the internet without joint handsomeness. It could happen. It could happen. Now, as we go into this, I just want to give you guys a real quick post-crisis origin in case you weren't reading the Captain Adam book. I, I sort of cribbed this from Wikipedia. I'll try and blow through it as quickly as possible. But Captain Adam's origin is really convoluted, and I'm really only going to talk about sort of the in-world, the in-continuity version of his origin. His real origin goes back to Charlton Comics and all this stuff. We covered it in our previous episode. Jay Jones and I talked a lot about Captain Adam, so you can go back to listen to those episodes. I want to say it was episode 15, but so here, here's the post-crisis Captain Adam version of his origin, basically. Captain Adam is secretly Nathaniel 
Adam, who's a United States Air Force officer and a Vietnam War veteran. Now, in 1968, Adam was framed for a crime he did not commit, sort of like the A-Team, and he was under military justice, condemned to death. All of this was tied in with Colonel Wade Eiling, who plays a major role throughout all of Captain Adam, and later on, Justice League incarnations. Now, as an alternate to execution, Adam was, quote-unquote, asked to participate in the Captain Adam project. So this was a military experiment with a little, basically no chance of survival. In exchange for an unconditional presidential pardon, Adam agrees, and the experiment involved testing the, and I've never really quite figured this out, but it involves testing this hull of a crashed alien spaceship. They want to test its durability by putting a human being, basically, on the metal and exploding an atomic bomb underneath it. Weird plan, but I guess that's what they wanted to do. Yes. Right, so the weapon goes off, and Adam is apparently disintegrated, as well as the alien metal. That's it, he's gone. Well, 18 years later, Captain Adam suddenly reappears. The alien metal is now bonded around his skin, providing him with this incredibly uh, abilities far beyond those of mortal men. And it was revealed that the alien metal could absorb energy, but that past a certain threshold, any excess energy would force him to jump forward in time. And how far he jumped was dependent on how much energy it was taken in. That's why he jumped forward 18 years. So bonded with the metal, uh, Nathaniel Adam now had the powers uh, that resulted from this metal's ability to tap into the quantum field. Now, as we said, he's flung far into the future, 1986, which of course was when this comic was published. So Adam found himself literally a man out of time. Plus, he's still stuck working for the U.S. military, most notably that Wade Eiling jerk we talked about. So everyone had assumed that Nathaniel Adams had died on the day of the experiment, so his presidential pardon that he was promised was never issued, and the current government refused to acknowledge the previous administration's promised pardon. So, General Eiling seizes this opportunity uh, with this outstanding murder and treason charge against Adam. He blackmails him to acting as a military-controlled government-sanctioned superhero, codenamed Captain Adam. And what they do, this is sort of cleverly in real world, what they do is they, they take the old Charlton comic stories, and they use those same adventures as a cover story for Captain Adam, basically fabricating a past for him to convince the world that he had secretly been a superhero for years and was thus able to quickly gain the trust of the public uh, with a reputation as an unsung patriot and hero. And, and during his non-superhero times, he was, again, Nathaniel Adam was supposedly dead, so he poses as Cameron Scott, who works for the Air Force Intelligence. And throughout the first two years of the Captain Adam series, there was this subplot brewing about who framed Nathaniel Adam way back in 1968, and Adam always hoped that one day he'd clear his name of these criminal charges. Whew. Now, that's a lot of information. I realize that. Did you, sounds like you read some of the Charlton comics. Sounds like you've read some of the modern-day stuff. How did you feel about the differences between the Charlton version and the modern-day version? Well, as I say, the, the Charlton version, I had such a long-ago memory, half a memory of it here and there, that I didn't remember much of the details, you know, just mainly cover images and things. So I was reading this and obviously appreciate that, you know, they had incorporated the Charlton stories into it in-world, and it just seemed dashed clever. Really, really liked it. It was... It was like it seemed like a bit of a, a Carrie Bates Renaissance, given that under Julius Schwartz in the Superman comics, he was writing such simple tales based on little surprises and twists. Whereas here, he was allowed to build on something that had come before, make it more complex, and just really make it seem like cutting-edge superhero hero comics. I, for me personally, I, I totally, I totally agree. I, I love the idea they folded the, the Charlton stuff into it. But when I, when I have tried to dip in and read Captain Adam on an ongoing basis, I've always appreciated lots of little like story beats. I've appreciated lots of little moments. I've appreciated a lot of art. But the whole thing didn't always hang together for me. I never started reading and I was like, oh my gosh, i got to read the next issue. It was more of like, okay, that was fine. So for me, I, while I enjoyed it, it wasn't ever a comic, uh, again, that I, I just felt compelled to read. Oh, yeah. I think I read more issues in preparation for this than I've ever read in a single run. Yeah, and, and again, that's that's not the way you would have obviously we were reading them differently at the time, so the, the, pace, the pacing seemed different, so it was a different experience, but I, don't, I suppose it's just diff- different taste. 
case, I think it probably just spoke more to me than to yourself. Yeah, but I will say I, I really had a fun time reading it this time because, you know, again, with the focus of the JLI and just coming at it from a completely different angle, I found it to be a fun read-through. Now, if you've never read the Captain M series and you're a fan of 1980s comics, you absolutely should. It's of that era. It feels like it's from that era. And it's, uh, for me, I always talk about finding your joy. And 1980s DC Comics post-crisis? Yeah, thank you. Sure, I'll take that. <laughs> so what we're going to do now is we're going to trip hammer through a lot of issues here. So what I did was, uh, and Martin and I both, basically starting with Captain M number 10, went all the way to issue 28 and looked for all the JLI-related moments about specifically the spying, really is what we're going to focus on, but and tried to find all that and identify it, again, because none of it's in the JLI comic. It's all here in Captain Adam, and it's sort of fascinating as a companion piece to the JLI. Uh, starting off real quick, and again, going to go through these pretty fast. J- Justice League International number 7, we've all read it, we know. It's where the Justice League takes on the international status from the United Nations, and the team adds Captain Adam and Rocket Red to appease the United States and the USSR. That's where Captain Adam joins the team. Then, the next appearance would be Captain, as far as chronologically published, would be Captain Adam number 10. Now, there's only a couple of pages here that were really that important for JLI specifically, but the gist of it is, in this issue, Captain Adam doesn't appear at all. In fact, the cover will tell you that. And it happens simultaneously with Justice International number 8, which was the moving day issue. And the reader discovers, as they're reading this, that Captain Adam has been recruited by the JLI, and he's covertly going to be used to collect information for the government on the Justice League International. And their reasoning, this is why the government wants to do it, because they are concerned with the Justice League renouncing their U.S. allegiance. They're no longer Justice League of America, they're Justice League International. So now, they've gone to this international status, so apparently the United States government's all bent out of shape about that. One of the fun things in this issue is that it features several background news reports, and it's about the JLI struggling with their embassies, which is all tied into issue number eight. And it's done in sort of a funny way, like how the news would interpret the events going on at the embassies. So you see a more serious take, like, there's some sort of crisis at the embassy. We all know that there's this just comedy of errors going on inside the Justice League issue themselves, the moving day issue. So it's, it's kind of a fun take. It is. It's, it's interesting that while the JLI readers, as you say, know or learn that it is typical JLI nonsense is keeping the team indoors, Captain Atom's supporting cast member, big guy named Babylon, speculates that it could be a crisis situation in progress. Maybe he just means crisis as an emergency, but it would be fun had the term been appropriated by those in the know, superheroes, allies and villains, to mean a huge problem such as the crisis on infinite Earths or the old annual team-ups with the JSA. Heck, even my keyboard automatically gives the word crisis an uppercase C when I type it. <laughs> that would be great if that's a code word. Like, Sir, we have a crisis situation. Go to def- you know, go to DEFCON crisis. <laughs> yeah. That'd be fun. So then we're going to jump forward a few months to Captain Adam number 14. And this one, again, only a couple of pages that matter for JLI. But in this one, the character of Cameron Scott, again, that's keep in mind, Nathan- it gets confusing. It's Nathaniel Adams' secret identity as a U.S. Air Force officer. Cameron Scott has resigned his military commission. He's quit. But in this opening scene, he's talking to President Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan contacts him and specifically says, I realize you've quit being a military man. However, he's asking him to continue to spy on the JLI for the U.S. government. And he's making, honestly, he's making some good points, which forces Captain Adam to really think about it. But this would have been the perfect time for Captain Adam to quit being JLI spy. As Reagan says, he saved the president's life, so it's him who should be doing Captain Adam a favor, and he should get off his back. That's true, but, you know, Ronnie was very persuasive. We all love jelly beans for some reason during those years. Because of Doctor Who, probably. Uh, Those would be jelly babies. And believe me, there's a world of difference between a jelly baby and a jelly bean, sir. Actually, you're right. I've got a huge, huge, great box of jelly babies on the table right now. (laughs) 
All right, so uh, everyone at home who doesn't watch Doctor Who is like, what are they talking about? Anyway, then we move on to Captain Adam number 15, which is the next issue. And again, this one, in this case, it's just the first three pages that matter. But in this issue, Captain Adam is actually submitting his report to the U.S. government on the JLI activities. And you actually read the report in the issue, which is kind of nice, and it's basically recapping the JLI's battle with Metron, or Metron, however you want to say it, in JLI number 11 or 12. So you're actually seeing Captain Adam's take on like him losing his cool and shooting at Metron and things like that so you actually see his version of the events i mean after seeing all these references in the previous issues to captain adam being the jli spy and i'm going to keep knocking that home until it catches on to <laughs> it's really interesting to see a detailed report from the hero you know spelled out in big capital letters about the latest adventure ending with the term eiling bites it <laughs> it's guaranteed to really really pay off his former boss general eiling who, of course, becomes an actual thorn in the side of the Justice League himself later. Captain Adam's conflict of being the team traitor is good also, the question being, how long can he hold out before his teammates find out? Ah, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. The next one to come out, again, in uh, publishing order, would be Suicide Squad number 13, which was a crossover with the JLI, and this one does actually appear in the JLI omnibus, so if you're reading it, you would have read this. Uh, in this one, there's a, uh, just a moment, one page, where Captain Adam and Nightshade, who had been appearing together in the Captain Adam series... They have a private discussion about their covert missions. And Captain Adam does acknowledge in there that he's working for the government and the JLI don't know it. Again, keep in mind, it's in Suicide Squad, not in the JLI comic. However, it doesn't specifically spell it out that he's spying on the JLI. It just says he's working for the government. That is, that is a cute, short, funny moment amidst the melodrama. It's absolutely wonderful to see Adam and Eve get together. I always like that. Nightshade, she's the tops. Oh my gosh. So, 30... What, 35? 30... Something years, I never once put together Adam and Eve. I cannot believe I never thought of that. There's a lot I've missed, believe me. They probably even spelled it out, and I just didn't pick up on it. Oh my god, I'm I'm serious. I, like even even reading your notes in advance, like pull back the curtain. We have pretty explicit notes here. I didn't even pick it up on it then until you said it just now. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Martin. You've opened my eyes. That's unbelievable. Okay, I uh, I owe you a favor now. Yeah. You don't. You don't. You give me so much. So often. Oh, whatever. Oh my gosh, you're so full. You British people are just... Well, no, Andy wasn't nice. Never mind. I guess it's just you. You're just too far nice. Too Way too nice. Andy the potty man. <laughs> All right, let's jump forward to Captain Adam number 16. Now, this is where you get into a lot more JLI content. This issue, it's almost the whole issue, or at least the second half of the issue, where the JLI actually guest stars. It features Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Mr. Miracle, and Black Canary. And they do battle with the Red Tornado, uh, who at that point was an out-of-control air elemental. <laughs> yeah, everyone was being an, air, an elemental back then. Absolutely. It, <laughs> it was fun to see Nate's off-duty thoughts about his fellow JLI members. For example, should I do an American accent? No. But he was thinking, flakes like Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, spooks like Batman and Martian Manhunter. Only a few issues previously, Babylon had suggested that Captain Adam had such a penchant for telling jokes, a new one every day, that he could be a stand-up comic. And now he's characterized as the super straight man. Yeah, I, I read that issue where he said he was telling jokes all the time. I'm like, really? Sh show that to us, because I'm not buying that. <laughs> I think Babylon could be one of those guys who just doesn't understand humor. That's possible. But I've got an odd scene there. Did, did you see, remember that scene there where Captain Adam at one point, Nathaniel Adam, goes to pawn his watch to pay for his rent. Mm -hmm. Did that strike you as odd at all? It, it was very strange. I was going to say, yes, it did strike me as strange because, I mean, didn't the JLI gig like, like the Avengers gig come with the stipends? I mean, at the very least, he could have bedded down at the New York Embassy. I thought it came with a paycheck as well, and I'm trying to think, I'd have to go back and reread the JLI, issue, JLI issues. It may not 
come in to be a factor until Wally West joins, because then once Wally West joins, they talk about the pay all the time, because that's his shtick at first. It's like they're, they're trying to find Wally's way, and at first it was being him being a womanizer and him wanting money. Because Beetle and Booster are always looking for get-rich-quick schemes also. So I wonder if their pay wasn't was very nominal, at least at first, with the JLI, maybe. Hmm, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think just an editorial boo-boo, I'd say, just for the sake of progressing the story. Yeah, could be. Hey, I bet you didn't notice the butt shot of Black Canary on page 13 as the JLI craft nears the bonkers red tornado. Uh, the appropriate thing would be to say, no, I didn't notice, but that would be a lie. I, I've always loved Black Canary in the Jazzercise outfit. I think she's just dead sexy in it. I, I love the character. I think she's tough. I think she's brilliant. She's funny, smart. And yeah, she's smoking hot. So yeah, I, I totally noticed that. <laughs> well, you're only human. I am irredeemable. <laughs> Forgivable. But this definite tension in this issue between Captain Atom and the other Justice Leaguers, even though they don't know that he's a disgusting mole, a dirty, stinking traitor. Right. <laughs> I would say that writer Carrie Bates and penciler Pat Roderick do seem to be having a heck of a good time playing with JLI. You can see there's a, there's a gleep of the proceedings despite the dire situation they're in, and Bates is doing a really, really nice job of channeling the team's trademark tone with plenty of point and banter among the participants. Yeah, I, I, I just reread these issues again in preparation for recording, and I was really surprised at how much it feels like the JLI. It's fun. He seems to have a good handle on their super heroics. In fact, through a lot of these issues, it's interesting to watch the JLI members interact, because sometimes they're more super heroic in the Captain Atom comic than they are on their own. You know, Blue Beetle actually in, in, in I think it's issue 20 or something, he actually swings in and uses his BB gun to knock out a bad guy. He never does that in the, in the JLI comic. You know, the only person who ever used the weapon is Oberon a couple issues ago. So, yeah, I, I, I liked their take on it. I absolutely did. And I, I love seeing Pat Broderick anyway, because Pat Broderick, for those of you who don't know, I, I do a Firestorm. I, well, I ran a website for years and I run a podcast. All the Firestorm's another one of my major, major passions. And Pat Broderick sort of defined his look in the 80s. So I, I love seeing Broderick's Stuff. He really, really is one of the one of the greats of the time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the next issue because this is a two-parter. We get into Captain Adam number seventeen again. The JLI play a major role here. The issue is sort of interspliced between JLI action and this sort of funky, trippy dream world that Captain Adam and uh, Red Tornado are hanging out in. So in it, uh, the, the battle continues. Red Tornado and Mister. This and this is where it becomes important for the the spy thing. Mister. Miracle uses his sensors and discovers that Captain Adam's outer metal shell is of alien origin and this leaves Mr. Miracle wondering about the truth behind Captain Atom because he knows there's no part of Captain Atom's public origin, at least the version they all know, that has anything to do with anything alien. So he's like, wait a minute something doesn't mesh here. It's good to see that the story is progressing along nicely, but there were, and there were certain little bits that I did enjoy, such as Red Tornado interrupting Captain Atom, Captain, I can't even say Captain Atom, <laughs> Captain Atom's sexy dream and then calling him puny human like the Hulk. That's worth the price of <laughs> it was that dream was a little racy for a, a regular newsstand comic there wasn't it it was a tad yes i mean probably brought on puberty if i hadn't been about 20 when it came out <laughs> but it's a fantastic issue for fans who have joined up dc universes carrie bates who of course used to write a jla in the early 70s gives us not just jli and red tornado but a pretty pretty good alan moore swamp thing he gives us brainwave from infinity inc and it gives us the fourth world's black racer presented in a wonderfully Kirby style by Broderick and Inca Bob Smith. You know, I hadn't thought about that. That it really, you're right. This is a really good snapshot of the post-crisis universe and how they were really bringing everything together. Huh? That's interesting. Yes. It's in the, at the end of the issue, it's a bit ironic that mission leader Blue Beetle's annoyed at Nate for flying off without being dismissed by him. Back in issue two of Captain Atom, Blue Beetle was convinced that the recently revealed hero was going to be his great friend. Tensions are mounting. Hmm. Captain Atom and Blue Beetle being friends, perhaps. 
perhaps that might be worth talking about. So the next issue we are going to talk about is exactly that. It's Captain Adam number 20. So we've jumped forward from 17 to 20, and this entire issue is JLI-related. If you're wanting to read along and read some of these Captain Adam issues, definitely pick up number 20. It's it's a key component in this whole story here. In this issue, it's a Blue Beetle team-up issue with Captain Adam. And Captain Adam basically convinces Ted Kord to help him on a mission. He falsifies an entire history between himself and the previous Blue Beetle, Dan Garrett, in order to secure the help of Ted Kord on this mission again. But the mission is completely personal to Captain Adam, but he doesn't tell Ted Kord that. So it's completely misleading Ted Kord into helping him. I know, I mean, it's just amazing that Captain Adam is obviously so convinced that he's a decent, plausible liar that he would get so detailed and just not, not telling the truth. It's bizarre. I mean, this issue, I think one of the things I particularly like is the cover. I think it's fabulous showing our heroes and heroes, friends in one, not so much in the other. The, the Charlton era never existed now, and the current era, it's, it's witty, it's poignant at the same time. It's pretty much in the JLI tradition. And I also say that that's a gorgeous splash page, fully illustrated by Pablo Marcos, a guest penciler, someone who I many knew for zinking on Marvel black and white horror books with Cola Conan's with John Buscema. I mean, looking at this, I, I wish we'd seen more of his pencils. I mean, I know I've seen some man bat. I went back and looked them up as well, and nothing as striking as this. A Wikipedia search tells me he was responsible for some of the British Marvel UK covers that I saw when I was growing up as a kid. Hmm. I just didn't realise it was him. Interesting. Okay. I, the art in it is very good. It, I, I'm more partial to Broderick, but yeah, it, it's very good and very interesting, and he does some fun stuff with it. He really, really does, and the story's not bad at all as either. I mean, I like the scene with Ted trying to get info about the evil big pharma company size Zyko, which now I know it sounds a bit like Psycho. <laughs> didn't think about that, okay. I didn't just sing out loud Zyko, but I mean, Ted looks so cool, he looks like a member of the Rat Pack in that snazzy suit. <laughs> well, he's totally suave. I mean, he's coming in, he's swooping in, he's being the technology mogul, he's sweeping the girl off his off her feet. He's, he's totally the James Bond going on there. He is, he's Cord, Ted Cord. He's got the cufflinks camera, the phone bug, the plan to seduce information out of the secretary, and he's leaping out of the way of an oncoming taxi. It's just fantastic to see him treated as a capable hero, not just as a jokey member of the JLI. Yeah, and that is something I wish they had done with Blue Beetle, was keep the jokes, but during adventures show him to be incredibly capable. I wish they had done more of that, because most of the time he's just relegated to flying the bug and making smart jokes. Yeah, I mean, there was so much more to him, so much more. It's a shame to see, really, that, you know, what could have been a potentially great friendship between Atom and Beetle is hobbled by being built on a foundation of lies. It's, as I said before, by, by now Nathaniel should have been with the JLI long enough to trust the odd teammate with the secrets. And it, he does at least feel a little bit guilty. He does. He does feel guilty. But, you know, you got to step back. I mean, he took time to sit down and create that entire dossier himself because this is all for a personal mission. So it's not like the government created this for him. He did this entire thing himself. So he spent hours and hours and hours and hours constructing this lie. So he should feel guilty as hell. He should feel like a terrible human being for this. Yes, he's a terrible human being, but a pretty darn good creative writer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, did you like the Carrie Bates reference Beetle and Booster's pathetic JLI sideline of superhero Repo Men? I did. I was very excited to see that. Anytime they mention the Repo Men business, it makes me very happy. I had to look it up because it's not a phrase we have in the UK. We have uh, what we call them uh, bailiffs, they're called. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah, we call them Repo Men. Bailiffs over here are the guards in a, in a, in a, in a courtroom. Oh, no. we, we co- I've forgotten what we call them actually so long since I did court reporting we call them something else okay bobbies I think you call them bobbies no court ushers we call them ushers okay that would that would make night court not nearly as much fun oh well oh, gosh this must be fascinating to a listenership sorry about that Americans <laughs> should we talk about the difference between bangers and mash and lifts and tubes <laughs> fanny packs oh goodness well I <laughs> 
I think that's going to do it for Captain Adam number 20. We're going to move on. The next one that comes in chronologically is Captain Adam annual number two. Now, we're going to hold that discussion for just a moment because we're going to talk about it. That's going to be our main focus of this episode. But uh, in the story, Bialya opens his borders for tourism, and Captain Adam and Rocket Red each investigate Bialya for their own respective governments. Again, we're going to oh, go ahead. I, I just said we're going to save it to the end, but apparently that's not good enough for you. Go ahead, Martin. <laughs> no, I was going to say, just, I only just realized, because I said Bialya, you said Bialya, which, of course, matches perfectly with the Queen Bee. Bialya, you're so smart. Uh, but also bear in mind that I am the king of mispronouncing things, so it's a very good chance I'm not getting it right. <laughs> No, I'm sure you have mispronounced this. Oh, I don't know about that. So I spent an entire episode saying it different way, like three different ways. So yeah. What's right. the third way? I don't even remember. I don't know. So let's move forward to Captain Adam number 22. In this one, it's just one little page for JLI. Uh, in it, Captain Adam has done some crazy stuff and, and has really ticked off the government. And this one features a page of Maxwell Lord answering four different telephones all simultaneously. And all of them are phone calls about Captain Adam's personal crusade in Central America. And Maxwell Lord is pissed. See, now this is the Maxwell Lord I like. He's such a control freak. He mans all the phones himself. But it's a million miles from the evil guy who... Actually, no, sorry, nothing nothing happened. There was no evil Maxwell Lord. <laughs> That's right. 2005, the last time we saw Maxwell Lord was in 2004, right? That was the last time he's never appeared since. Absolutely. Yep. Except in the formerly known as the Justice League comics. Which everybody should buy. They should. They're so good. So, and oh, marvelous. We will cover them someday on the show when we finally run out of Giffen DiMatteis uh, Justice League comics to do. Raising my hand, raising my hand, sir. <laughs> All right, folks. Then we go into Captain Adam number 24, which is an invasion tie-in. And this one does feature a lot of Maxwell Lord, but it's it's not really specific to the JLI. Basically what happens is Captain Adam is appointed as the commander-in-chief of all the superheroes, combatants during the war. Now, there's a, again, there's some scenes with Maxwell Lord, not strictly JLI. But interestingly, enough, the, from issue number seven of JLI, remember that new Genesis satellite that was up there in, in space that uh, blasted part of the Earth? Well, uh, that is part of of the Earth's plan to strike back at the aliens in the invasion. So that was kind of cool. That was a neat callback, I think, yes. Carrie Bates did a great job of showing that Captain Adam does have a good military mind. He's making sense of his being made supreme commander of the superhero forces in the invasion. And Pat Broderick and Romeo Tangal produce a smoking hot black canary without showing her bottom too much. <laughs> Invasion was so good. I wish there was a podcast about it. Uh, no one has ever, 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 ever done a podcast about Invasion. So, yeah, yeah, just there's no way to ever hear more about it. Now, I'm glad you mentioned Blue, um, Black Canary because, yes, this issue, the last panel of the comic, actually features a great panel of uh, Booster and Beetle. They are seeing, for the very first time, they're seeing their former teammate, Black Canary, in her classic fishnets costume. The words shock, joy, and ogling are probably the best way to describe their reactions. It's very much a blah-ha-ha moment. <laughs> certainly is. We, we've sort of established the term that Beetle and Booster are the douchey bros of the Justice League. That's absolutely true. I don't think they're necessarily bad people. I don't think they're necessarily sexist, but they're just, they have that douchey bro attitude, which is uh, n- not somebody I'd want to hang out with, but darn, it's funny to read. <laughs> it really is. Yep. Then we move forward to Captain Adam number 25. Again, only a couple of pages here. In this one, the JLI have a cameo and has a very foreshadowing scene with Blue Beetle and Mr. Miracle expressing frustration about Captain 
and Adam. They really are down on Captain Atom, aren't they, Shag? I mean, I love that Booster is so bemused that he loses control of his banana. It's happening to us all. I gotta tell you, you know, one of the things I'm impressed about here, it, overall, they, they've taken a really long time to build this story. I mean, it started with Captain Atom number 10. Here we are now in issue 25, so we're, you know, a year, more than a year later, and this story is still slowly doling out. It's, it's a nice, slow-building subplot where this is back in the day when a writer, when they started writing a book, they they would think about something, okay, I've got this story that I'm going to take two years to unfold. Nowadays, you're not even sure if you're going to get six issues out of a book. So it's nice that he had the, the, the ability to really map this out over a long period of time. Well, this is Carrie Bates, remember, who before this, the last thing he did was edited and wrote The Trial of the Flash, which went on for about 20 years. That's... <laughs> That's about right, I think, actually. I think that is chronologically correct. Correct about everything, Shark. Yes, apparently I keep hearing that. So, all right, next one is Captain Adam number 26. Now, this is where things get serious, folks. This is a direct tie into Just League International. And, in fact, the cover all by itself is a big important thing because it says Top Secret Captain Adam File, number one of three. And it actually has Mr. Miracle, uh, Blue Beetle, and Booster Gold confronting Captain Adam on the cover. You know, they're, they're saying, the Justice League is on to you and your lies, Captain Adam. Now we want the truth. All of it. And Captain Adam is looking ashamed, sort of looking away and realizing he's been caught. So it starts on the cover, picks up a couple pages into it, and continues on throughout the entire issue. The gist of it is, Mr. Miracle and Blue Beetle have now compared notes about Captain Adam, and they bring Booster Gold in on their suspicions. Now, all the stuff we've been talking about sort of comes to fruition here. Mr. Miracle knows, back from issue 17, we talked about this, that Captain Adam is part extraterrestrial, which doesn't match his publicly known origin. Blue Beetle reveals that he knew all along that Captain Adam's casebook of adventures with the previous Blue Beetle, issue 20 we talked about just a minute ago, he knew all along that whole thing was a work of fiction. Blue Beetle was just playing along to figure out what Captain Adam was up to. So now, Mr. Miracle, Blue Beetle, and Booster Gold all agree to follow Captain Adam, like track him and prove he's a traitor to the JLI. Towards the end, Mr. Miracle saves Captain Adam and his civilian identity, and finally the three leaguers confront Captain Adam, demanding the truth. I think it's fair to say it was a key issue with this one, but I loved it when the JLI plot came into the issue, because at that point, Captain Adam had been being a bit racist in a subplot as regards his daughter's relationship with his African-American supposed best friend. Really uncomfortable stuff. It was uncomfortable, but... It... I don't know the, the best way to address it. it. It felt a little real, though, you know, in that here's a man who comes from the 1960s, a different world, and he's got these previous world prejudices, which are very uncomfortable for us, which really paint him in a bad light, but it shows that he's still got them. And he, he's struggling, though, to overcome them, which I guess is a tribute to him. But yeah, it, it was very uncomfortable to read. But at the same time, it, I thought it was interesting that the, the writer felt like showing us a, an uncomfortable, unpleasant side of Captain Adam. That was a brave move, I thought. Absolutely. And, and, and- to be fair, it was also to do with the fact that Captain Atten's best friend was about 20 years older than his daughter, Peggy. That's an issue. That's a whole different kind of issue there, yeah. And this is, I say, Mr. Miracle, yeah, Mr. Miracle's right about the lies and the cover-up, but that's quite the intuitive leap from simply finding out, discovering that Captain Atten's exoskeleton's not of this Earth, because there could be any number of reasons for that, and then just making the pompous, solemn vow never to trust Captain Adam again. He might just ask him what the frack's up. <laughs> Blue Beetle's doubts about the case book that Dan Garrett never used a flying bug at least makes sense. And I like the 
the reveal that Ted never believed Captain Atom. Yes, Ted acts like a poltroon when Booster Gold's around, but he's actually a really sharp fella. Yeah, and after you read this issue and you go back and reread issue 20 where Blue Beetle, you know, secretly knows that it's a, it's all false, the issue makes so much more sense. Cause Blue Beetle in that issue is totally over the top as far as being Captain Atom's friend. He's like, hey, amigo, buddy, pal of mine. And it's like irritating. You know, it's, 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 it's overly, <laughs> overly saccharine. But when you figure out, you know, retroactively like, oh, Beetle knows it's all a lie, it makes total sense. It's like, this is why Beetle's over the top. So yeah, it works well. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And, and I don't know, as far as Mr. Merkel, it's like, I almost think that he doesn't know that Captain Adam's spying on them. So I don't know that the leap of logic is completely there, but the leap of logic is, wait a minute, he's been lying to us. And so therefore he decides not to trust him. But maybe that is too big of a leap, but at least he knows something's not on the up and up. There is, there is that. It's to show his mother box can't just ping a little bit when there's someone lying in his presence. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's a little nudge there. That could be it too. So then we get to Captain Adam number 27, and this is it, folks. This is what it's all been leading to. Start Again, starting with issue number 10, goes all the way to here. The, in this issue, the JLI appear throughout it, but really the first seven pages are the most important of the discussion. Uh, in this one, Captain Adam comes clean and tells Mr. Miracle, Blue Beetle, and Booster Gold all the details of his true origin. He asked for their help in proving his innocence for the murder that he was falsely accused of back in the 1960s, which he'd be, he's been investigating this whole time. And the leaguers spend the issue helping Captain Adam with the investigation and battling the bad guys. Now, there's an interesting thing here to note, at least as far as what we've read. There could have been more conversation beyond what we read, but in what we read, Captain Adam comes clean about his origin, sure thing, and the lies, yep, but he fails to mention that he's been spying on the JLI and reporting to the U.S. government on the JLI activities. It is sort of implied that they know he was he was spying, because later issues do say they know he was a spy, but they don't actually show him say it in here. So, And, and, and also, uh, even though Captain Adam comes clean about his past, Blue Beetle's still pretty resentful and angry about the lies, and it seems a little too pat that when Captain Adam asks for the help with a, with, his, with his new lead, Blue Beetle actually apologizes and says, let's start again. If I was Blue Beetle, I'd still be a little more hesitant. Yeah, that, that was a little bit too cozy. I mean, Blue Beetle, I don't know, should have perhaps got a little bit comic book and just giving him a punch or something but yeah. it's like they suddenly decide you know, let, let's wrap up this strand of the plot and just wrap the issue up neatly and perhaps get into it a little bit more later hmm. could be the case it was a very very good issue I enjoyed it a lot and the artwork though the artwork could have been a little bit better Pat Broderick he makes a right pig's ear of drawing Mr. Miracle's mask I mean it's a mess can't be that hard to draw <laughs> yeah it does it looks a little off yeah there's no denying that <laughs> it does rather and in terms of you know I know we say these issues aren't that funny compared to the JLI. But I love page 20's first panel when the bad guy, Rakish or Rakish, he moans, Aye, my ball is stuck! I'm 12. Right. <laughs> well, at, at that point, you know, maybe it's a case of they're they're afraid the art isn't conveying what's supposed to be said, so they got to put in the dialogue. I don't know. <laughs> could be. I don't know. Yeah, a good moment and a good issue. Yeah. So then the story wraps up in Captain M number 28, but it's really only one page. That's why 27 is really the big one. But in that one, uh, the JLI are on the first page or on on one page only, where Captain Adam goes alone to resolve two years worth of his subplots. He basically leaves them. It says he's got to do it himself, which is kind of weird because he wanted their help before. But anyway. In that one, the JLI folks then think perhaps they should have told Captain Adam about the Justice League Europe. And it seems the leaguers have come to terms with Captain Adam's truth and are now decided to trust him.
trust him. So this sort of resolves the whole thing. Uh, it's just the weakness in this issue for me is it's it's just Captain Atomy thanks his JLI colleagues for helping him. As you say, he asked him to help him previously. Then he says that he's as he's so close to solving the mystery of his frame up 20 years earlier, he has to do it alone. It's just typical talk, typical of TV and film and comics. It's It just makes absolutely no sense. Why go it alone? Right. You know, the, the best way I ever saw this addressed was in, uh, I don't know if you ever watched the TV show Firefly. A few episodes, yeah. There's a lot of fun. There's there's this big climactic fight in this one episode where the, the main lead guy, Mal, he's having like a fight with this horrible villain and uh, all the, all his friends show up and and, the, and his basically second in command stops everyone and goes, no, no, he's got to do this on his own. And he's yelling, no, I don't. Shoot him. <laughs> Shoot him now. You know, which is great. I mean, it's exactly the way you should resolve that. You don't have to go it on your own if you have friends. Are you kidding? Absolutely. You've got to have friends. Use them. Exactly. They're glad to be there. They'll be there for you. That's why I bring you people on the show. You certainly make it better than it would be if it was just me. So, absolutely. Aw, shag. Don't, don't, don't let it go to your head. Okay, I'm just using you. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> that's someone is oh my gosh so from Captain Adam number 28 we do jump over to Justice League Europe number 1 we're not going to talk much about it here because we are going to talk about it very soon in this series but this uh, Justice League Europe number 1 did come out one week prior to the release of Captain Adam number 28 they're both supposed to kind of ha- supposed to happen about the same time mm, I would get a whole issue there's no mention of Cap's status as an agent for the government I mean I suppose Giffen and Dematis didn't want to go there but if you've been reading Captain Adam it's just weird I get that no one on the team knows his status, but you'd expect Captain Atom to at least have a thought or two about it in, in those days of word balloons. Sorry, thought balloons? Yeah, you're right, Martin. You would think they would, so you're just, even a casual mention or something. And that's something that's sort of interesting throughout this whole thing. You know, Carrie Bates has taken a lot of effort to weave his Captain Atom story into the JLI comic. He's really tried to take the JLI stuff and work it into his story. But the reverse hasn't been true. Captain Atom's story has not been woven into the JLI comic. Now, in the theory of sales figures, you do have to say, okay, well, Justice League International is one of the biggest selling books at the time, so it makes sense that their story sort of dominates. It's sort of like, you know, Batman has his own adventures. He doesn't, they don't work the JLI into the Batman comic books. It's the same kind of philosophy. But it is sort of uh, interesting how closely it's knit, knitted into the Captain Adam book and yet not even referenced in JLI. Yeah, I mean, JLI is meant to be the heart of the universe and it should be acknowledging things a little, a little more. I, mean, I say when Carrie Bates is trying hard, it's like when Carrie Bates put Death into Captain Atom Neil Gaiman was apparently very, very peeved, peeved with that. And, yeah. you know, poor Carrie's trying to play well with others and they're just pushing him out of the play yard. Yeah. Well, and then uh, last one I want to mention here is Justice League International Annual Number 3 which came out about the same time as Justice League Europe number four. And this is, this is it. This is the moment where they finally acknowledge Captain Adam spying in a Justice League comic. This is the first time where Captain Adam actually faces his JLA teammates since the truth came out. In this issue, it's revealed that the Justice League America folks, the people in the New York embassy, that they're aware of Captain Adam's betrayal. However, Maxwell Lord made the entire JLA promise not to reveal the truth to the JLE branch. The Justice League Europe people don't even know about Captain Adam's betrayal trail of the of the team which is sort of interesting it's interesting but i, I can't imagine what the sense is in that does that make any sense to you tell <laughs> one team not the other no it makes no sense whatsoever especially since you've got a carryover like uh rocket red yeah ah, yes oh well but it's a good issue i, I really like the scene with Catherine and cap natum and his fears about being accepted it's done elegantly via thought balloons demonstrating once again what a great storytelling tool modern writers have rejected you know i was just having a conversation on facebook with dan mishkin uh one of the co-creators of blue devil about thought balloons and how important they are to comics and how captions don't do the same thing. They, it's differently. It breaks it up from the art and 
captions don't do the same job as thought balloons. It's really a shame that they're gone now. Hopefully at some point things will turn around again and we'll just get them back. Yeah, I hope so. And I'm, you, mean, you mentioned Catherine Colbert. I'm going to have a tough time covering those Justice League Europe issues because I am head over heels, comic book in love with that lady. She is brilliant. She's smart. She's funny. She's sexy. She is the whole package. So whew, I'm going to have a hard time being a good person there. One classy broad. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> On that wonderful note and a terrible American accent, folks, we are going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we are going to cover Captain Adam Annual Number 2. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see... You are about to see... Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Born and raised to make a kill She was not given her own will Her first hit left her feeling only disdain She ran to Gotham's no man's land Learned from Barbara Gordon's hand The studs, the legacy of Cassandra Cain Rising from the devastation of no man's land a new warrior joined the Bat family. Daughter of David Kane and Lady Shiva, trained from birth to be the ultimate killer, but choosing instead to save lives. She's been Batgirl, Black Bat, and Orphan. She is Cassandra Kane. Join Mike Staley as he goes through every appearance of one of DC's most underrated characters in Silent Night, the Cassandra Kane Podcast. On iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and at silentnight.podomatic.com. All right, folks, we are back, and we are about to cover Captain Adam Annual Number 2. Now, if you don't have a copy of this issue, please head out to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI. There will be a gallery post there, and we will include some of the images from this issue so you can get an idea of what we're talking about. Also, while you're there, please leave some comments because we, again, want to hear from you and your thoughts on this. All right, Captain Adam Annual Number 2, published by DC Comics. Now, there's no cover date, but it is listed as the 1989 Annual. It was on the shelves August 23rd, 1988, so this is one week after Justice League International number 20. So we're actually dipping it back in time a little bit, but you know, it's again, you'll as we get into this, you'll see why it's relevant to the JLI. Cover price was a dollar fifty. Ooh, what is that? Six shiny quarters. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Uh, and cover is by Paris Cullens. Now, since you're the guest, why don't you tell us a little bit about the cover? Oh, the cover, the cover, the cover. Well, I like the graduated orange tints. <laughs> That's all you like? <laughs> Ah, you want more? Nice logo. I like the annual trade dress. It's, 
As for the rest, it's not great work from Paris Cullens. I mean, I've liked him ever since he showed up with DC and Blue Devil. The concept of the cover, which hopefully people are looking at now, is a defeated Captain Atom trying to right himself against a wall, trying to climb himself to his feet. On the wall is a poster of the country's leader and occasional JLA annoyance, Queen Bee, and the words, Welcome to Bialia. Ah, she's barely got a nose. And Captain Atom, Captain Atom looks like he's grown a beard all up his face. Ah, the joys of a costume designed to look identical front and back. <laughs> Now, see, interesting, because I actually like this cover. I feel like it's the most Paris Collins-looking thing in the book, uh, and we'll get into more of that inside, but I, I like it. I like the imagery. I like that it, you know, it's clearly telling you this is a Bialya issue. It's clearly telling you that Captain Adam's on the on the ropes. I uh, And yes, she is very um, stylized. You know, as you said, she doesn't, you can't really see her nose, but I, I think it works. I think she's very pretty. I think she's fetching, if you will, on the cover. I enjoy it. Mm, I feel like ladies with no noses. That, that's how we grow them over here. We don't have them, so... <laughs> My dog's got no nose. Oh, how does he smell? Terrible. Dun, dun, dun. So also on the cover, they have a little bit here where it says, Extra Feature, Private Lives. There is a short backup specific to Captain Adam called about Private Lives, but we're not going to do that here because really the focus here is the JLI. So we're just going to focus on the front end of the story, which is called Be All Ya Bound. Written by Carrie Bates, co-plotter by Greg Weissman. Breakdowns by Paris Collins. Notice that. That's Breakdowns. So by Paris Collins. Finisher is Bob Smith. Letter is Carrie Spiegel. Colors is Shelley Iber. Assistant editor Dan Raspler and editor Denny O'Neill. Why don't you go ahead and recap the first half? Well, as we join this issue, Captain Adam is undercover in Bialia as tourist Cameron Scott. He's there to see if Bialia is on the up and up in trying to get people to spend their holidays there. Vacations in America, I suppose. On a similar mission, but independent of Captain Atom, is government spy Sarge Steele, the man with the iron hand and the humor bypass. Then there's Dimitri Pushkin, the JLI member Robert Rocket Red for here to investigate on behalf of his masters in the Soviet government. Fellow tourist Mrs. Sweeney tells Scott that she never expected so many surveillance cameras when she arrived in Bialia. It seems that a girl can barely go to the toilet without being filmed. <laughs> Next day, Cameron Scott, with miscoloured hair, talks to a Bialian citizen about why they're so loyal to the Queen Bee. And the man tells him about her many kindnesses, the many ways she loves the population. Everybody loves her back. After he leaves, the captain at him wonders if this dedicated leader can possibly be the same woman who's in the JLI villain files. And he's very bored. <laughs> That night, Sarge Steele dons a stealth outfit to sneak inside the royal palace for a spot of spying, his favourite hobby. Meanwhile, masked figures fly towards the Queen's stronghold, and the guileless Dimitri arrives in full rocket red regalia and demands an audience with QB. At this point, the airborne terrorists attack and Dimitri leaps into action. Sarge Steele sees a fracor and, being a little bit annoyed that his surveillance mission has been interrupted, punches a passing terrorist. Nathaniel also notices the outbreak of fighting and leaps into a phone booth for Percy to change into his heroic form. Unfortunately, it's a glass phone booth. Everyone can see if they're looking. Fortunately, the blaze of his transformation stops anyone seeing the moment of change. Then again, if they saw Scott go in and Captain Atom come out, well, even by aliens aren't that stupid. <laughs> Cap started attacking the terrorists and one turns tail, only to be punched big time by a giant hand belonging to, well, we don't see, but it's fair to say the terrorist is taken out with one punch. Oh. Back with Captain Adam, the locals are a bit perturbed to see the killer of their local hero, Wandina, and are pelting him with rocks and Queen Bee's scrunched up royal panties. It wasn't really his fault, folks. As things calm down, Rocket Red thanks Sarge Steel for the assist to a grumpy response. The special agent doesn't like superheroes. 
Meanwhile, in a secret base, Queen Bee's number one lackey, Jack O'Lantern, interrogates the terrorists, who it turns out are his own men. They've escaped the fracker, and this is where we learn that the Big Fist belonged to Captain Atom's rival hero, big air quotes around hero, Major Force. Jack's been expecting superheroes and spies from around the world to show up once Bialya opened its doors, and he's been keeping an eye out for the perfect subject for an experiment that he's been working on, and Captain Atom looks set to be it. Queen Bee appears on a view screen and is angry at Jack that he puts citizens at risk in setting up an attack on the palace to force any visiting spies out into the open. He says it won't happen again, and then she shows him the subject she's chosen for the procedure, Cameron Scott, whom she knows is Captain Atom. A happy coincidence. Hmm. Well, I'll take it from here. And also, all thanks to Martin. He actually wrote the entire synopsis, so he's made my job very easy this month. So thank you very much. So, while Jack-O-Lantern is firing this hypnotic ray towards Captain Adam's hotel, Major Force is sneaking in, hoping Captain Adam will thank him for his secret assist in the previous day, only to find one very miffed Captain Adam. Major Force explains that he came to Bialya because its signal-blocking tech meant his handler, General Eiling, couldn't control him. He needed a break, something Captain Adam could understand, given his past with the awful General Eiling. Major Force fell in with Queen Bee, and now they're making merry together, which <laughs> makes Captain Adam feel ill. It's the last straw for Captain Adam, who tells Force he's dumb to believe the Queen Bee's Prince's Grace routine, and he's heading for a fall. And Captain Adam doesn't plan on being there to pick up the pieces, he says. As he's flying home by a cute wee plane, yeah, obviously Martin wrote this, uh, Captain Adam sees Rocket Red... <laughs> he, Captain Adam sees Rocket Red zooming through the sky and assumes he's heading back to the Kremlin to make his report. Back in Washington, D.C., Captain Adam isn't able to answer a message from his daughter Peggy because he's seen the Queen Bee on TV saying, come to Bialya. And he has this bizarre reaction. The reaction is not a major force, but a major headache. And he's compelled to return to the country of Bialya and is soon in the hands of Jack-O-Lantern in an underground super science chamber. Being in Bialya alleviates the pain in Captain Atom. Jack explains the comic book science that put Captain Atom in his power. It's very convincing. Really, it is. And then, the Quantum Crusader, desperate to remain in this place of peace, he can't can't resist talking and telling Jack his hero history and beginning to tell him the secrets of the JLI members. Nearby, Major Force, having realized that his lil buddy is back and is likely in the hands of the Queen's forces, strong-armed soldiers to tell him where Captain Adam is. Then Queen Bee arrives, and she is not happy, realizing that Captain Adam has been giving Jack-O-Lantern drawn-out drivel about his fictional past, and nothing of note on his fellow members of the JLI. Cap quits his act and explains that he's used his military mindfulness to resist Jack's mental prodding. He's been waiting for the Queen Bee to show up. Captain Adam takes down Jack-O-Lantern with a quick blast of energy. Queen Bee sicks the newly arrived Major Force on Captain Adam. Cap points out that the big slugfest will wreck the palace and likely harm the citizens. This freaks out her babeniffs, in quotes, <laughs> as Major Force calls Queen Bee, and she lets a Captain Adam leave to make his report to the JLI. She swears she'll get him for this. Later, as Cameron Scott, Captain Adam gives Surgeon Steel a lift back home, and we last see them flying over the ocean. A promotional flyer with Queen Bee's face printed on, saying, Come to Bialya is floating on the waters. Woof! So what do you think, Martin? I think it's a pretty fun story, given that it involves Bialya, and I really well hate Bialya stories. <laughs> I, have I, mean, I think the first thought of turning up with Adventures of Superman in the Marvel Wolfman days, and I just didn't like them at all. But seeing Cap trying to be an undercover operative is fascinating. He's really not made for this. He hasn't got the patience still. 
the fact that he's been given the mission shows that Max Lord does indeed trust him. Or was it a test? That's a good question. It, it makes you wonder what, how he got selected there. Uh, and it's interesting that he's there as a representative of the JLI, not a representative of the, as the United States government. I guess that's why Sarge Steele's there. But I do like, now I don't mind Bialya's stories. And this, I really, really like how they explained how Bialya has become a tourist destination. Because we never really got that sense anywhere else. It went from being, you know, this country that's a den of thieves to suddenly a place where people go. And, and, and here's where we get all this explanation. I like the idea of all the various countries also checking out Bialya, you know, some being covert and some being obvious. And actually, I, I like that bit in the story when Jack O'Lantern explains that, you know, he, he, he fully expected other countries to come here. Yeah, because it does it does make sense. You get you would get the other countries wanting to know what's going on and you get stag parties going there for the weekend and sort of just sensation seekers wondering what's going on in this formerly rogue state. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they know the Queen Bee's there and she's an enemy of the JLI, so it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to meet the Queen Bee? Uh, I certainly wouldn't mind meeting her. <laughs> I'd rather meet Zazzler any day of the week. Oh, are, you, are we having that conversation or are we going to wait? I think we can wait. Okay, fair enough. But major force in this issue, he's an interesting foil. He's progressing further and further down the road from anti-hero to supervillain. It'll then wind him up in Kyle Rayner's book. And Rocket Red, always good value. Uh, you had to mention the uh, major force in the Green Lantern story. Oh, such such a bad road that leads to. I, I love that Kyle Rayner book, but that's uh, obviously unpleasant memories for almost everyone. Now, I like seeing Rocket Red here operate as a Soviet agent. You know, we usually see him as like the goofy Dimitri. He's there to have fun or whatever. Here, I mean, he's really earning his keep as uh, of Soviet representative. I, I dig that. It's nice to see Dimitri in like a business capacity. It is. He's a little, he's a little bit like Beatrice, I suppose, in that sort of, you know, he, he has this public persona of being a bit sort of doofus, bit goofy. But he's, again, he's really, really bright fella. Yeah, he's competent. He's competent at his job. It's just that being in the JLI embassy makes people stupid. It's true. <laughs> now, now, where there's no avoiding the Queen Bee, she's this this version of Queen Bee, she's just a story prop. She's nowhere near being an alias villain that the JLA deserves. JLI even. She's just so much duller visually and in terms of evil plans and the Silver Age JLA villainess Zazzler, who's rivaled in the evil space queen stakes only by the magnificent Hyathus. Chaco Lantern is as entertaining an idiot as ever. I could never get enough of seeing his arse kicked. And Sarge Steel, he's just there. I don't know, maybe they wanted another ranked character to compliment the captain, the major and the queen. It's possible. Now, I want to talk about Queen Bee here, because for me, I much prefer this version of Queen Bee to the Silver Age version. You, you talked about, uh, I can't even say it, Zazala, is that how you say it? Zazala, Zazala, Dazla, whatever, yeah. <laughs> I know you like that version, but I, I just, it does nothing for me, really. Not even when Grant Morrison reimagined everything. She doesn't do much for me. I love this version. Now, you're right. In, in this particular comic, she's watered down. She is not the villain that she is in Justice League. You know, here she's more like, um, I don't know, she's more like a V you know, really, in this, you know, in Argentina, than she is like the supervillain. It's it, here she's, you know, caring about her people and she's very involved. But still, I, I like the human version. I like them having a villain that's human and has diplomatic immunity that they can't really touch. I like that style rather than someone they get into a slugfest with. Now, this is also the same version that appears in the Young Justice cartoon. So I thought that was kind of cool to have that all connected. And I love how they show Queen Bee loves her people. I mean, she, it really helped me to connect with this character, her motivations. More than anything in the JLI issues, all her motivations there is just basically power and control. Here she's shown to actually love her people, and I'll have to see if that meshes up with the way she treats him in the JLI issues, but 
either way, in, in just this story alone, I really like that angle. Margaret Thatcher said she loved her people. Evil. Nothing but evil. Oh, goodness. Uh, and she's just, uh, she is Queen Bee, she's just a politician, basically. I mean, they said about diplomatic immunity. I mean, they did that with the Joker, didn't they, back in the time, around the time Jason Todd got killed. He can't be touched because of diplomatic immunity. But these heroes, okay, actually, no, I was going to say these heroes are vigilantes and it shouldn't affect them, but these are the JLI members and they do work for the UN, so probably, no, they can't touch Queen Bee, but ah, she's just so dull. Well, okay, so you, you mentioned the Jason Todd thing. First of all, that's only a couple of issues, whereas Queen Bee was an ongoing arc for years. And the Jason Todd stuff actually happens after this. So, JLI did it first. Hurrah! <laughs> uh, but I won't argue with you that she's uh, she's definitely not the villain we're used to in this piece. Absolutely. She should, she should have a big, fat, stripy bottom and be firing lightning bolts from a pointed ass. Uh, not so much. But anyway, next thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, my next Lord Strag, I just, I just say this story does lack some pep because the art is subpar Paris Collins, as I alluded to with the cover. It looks rushed in the main. I mean, from the first three pages where you get virtually no backgrounds, no visual interest. It's, I mean, isn't Queen Bee meant to be a stunner? I, I do like the very Ditko-esque shot of our hero blasting on page 22. I'll give him that. That's a, that's a nice one. But in general, you have to remember that Paris is credited with breakdowns. You know, Bob Smith is the finisher. So I think that explains why this one really lacks uh, Paris Collins polish, you know? For me, when I think of Paris Collins, uh, besides the fact that I hung out with him just a couple months ago in Baltimore, and he was super cool, for me, when I think of Paris Collins, it really, his best inker was Gary Martin. Like, that era of Blue Devil where Gary Martin was inking him and Paris was drawing it, that's like issues, I don't know, two through six or something like that, if I remember right, are just gorgeous. They're absolutely beautiful, and that's that's the Paris Collins I want to see. And this one, again, I think it's just very, I gotta assume it's very loose breakdowns, is probably what he did. Because, yeah, you're right, Queen is supposed to be a stunner and in the upcoming Justice of Europe issues I mean she is straight up dead sexy in those issues that's probably a fair point it could, it could be Bob Smith but I've seen many a good Bob Smith job and I, I think perhaps the breakdowns could be a little a little bit more interesting yeah, maybe it was rushed I mean uh, it's a 30 page story so it's longer than normal and I, I don't know if, what, if Paris what else he would have been doing at this point but uh, there's no denying you're right the art is a letdown in this thing yeah yeah I'm just looking and just wondering if, if you know with panels I don't want the panel I picked out where it is quite difficult you've got a lot of background whether they did have to rush the issue but just occasionally they think you know this is a big moment let's put a little bit more work into it it could be now I'm, I'm not I don't know Bob Smith's stuff intimately I, I don't know that I've, I've certainly read some stuff by him but I think it was more of him as an inker rather than a finisher which again there's a lot more to do as a finisher that's very very true but yeah yes it's not the best but still it's pretty pretty good in- issue and there's I do have individual panels that I do like for example there's a panel of Major Force after he's been thrown on the bed by a Captain Atom and mined out of the gutter <laughs> that's a hoot. Yeah, Major Force, yeah, he's sort of face down and he, his butt's up in the air and he looks like he's been taken about. I like the panel right before it, actually, where Captain Adam grabs Major Force by the hair. Because I never think about Major Force or Captain Adam's hair as being malleable, like you could touch it. I always think of it as like a metal sort of sheen, like a block around it, like a solid piece. So seeing him grab uh, Major Force's actual hair and fling him across the room, I thought was hilarious. I thought that was good. Yeah, it's probably like a Brillo pad. Right? Yeah, it's what it would feel like, wouldn't it? Yeah. And there's a, there another panel I like quite early on when we were talking about how uh, Captain Atom Cameron Scott's busy sort of chatting to one of the one of the local people. And I just like I just love the way he's dressed. I mean, first you have Queen Bee's guardsmen that look like something from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang from Middle <laughs> Europe. But this this tourist, he's just dressed like a refugee from the British Raj and he's sitting on a very stylish scooter as if he's in Sicily or somewhere. <laughs> it's absolutely adorable. I love it. And, and it's, it's an interesting panel because it's very wide. You, you've got Captain Adam or Nathaniel Scott, I should say, off on the side. 
side talking to the guy, and the whole left-hand side is just shots of a fire hydrant, which, oddly enough, is blocking a doorway. But um, it's just showing the backgrounds. There are a lot of backgrounds in this panel, and the characters are off to the side to fill the war balloons. But it's uh, it's nice. I do love the pith helmet he's got on. That's fun. <laughs> he's taking the pith. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and those posters on the wall behind me, where there's one that says, Your Queen Loves You. It looks like something from the 1960s, a free love poster. But here's two people getting down to it or something. Oh, my goodness. You're not wrong. I didn't notice that before. I, I think that's just supposed to be squiggles. But you're right. It does look a little, uh, hmm, interesting. But look, look under the bottom of Captain Adam's word note, under loyalty to the lady. Look at the poster under there. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I see what you're talking about. Bumpity bump. <laughs> <laughs> then on page 12 art wise to prove this really is a JLA comic there's a gratuitous butt shot of a terrorist <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm always happy to see those those are wonderful <laughs> it's quite unusual and a page later on page 13 I think I really do have my mind in the gutter but what do you make of the shape of Jack O'Lantern's headquarters I don't even know what that's supposed to be I don't understand it at first I thought that was someone's like erratic flight pattern and then I realized no it's 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 like a giant aerial antenna I don't know but the shape you're talking about oh yeah I see what you're talking about mm-hmm. so, it's a bit odd yeah that's a little unusual Yeah, I don't know that that one's going in the gallery post sorry folks <laughs> we don't need the explicit tag on our website yeah, and I'll, I also like that uh, when we have a, a shot in Captain Atom's apartment, you see you see the book he's reading is Flowers in the Attic, schlocky fiction. Is he seriously reading that book? It's there, it's there by the bedpost or whatever. Oh my gosh, I mean, the, the 80s, it was huge. Everyone was reading in the 80s, no doubt about that, but man, I, Nathaniel, you get some better taste, bro. <laughs> yeah, and do you, like, do you like the little mental image that we're given of Major Four's bumping Queen Bee? Yeah. Well, I do like the Captain Adam is grossed out by it, but I, I find myself wondering, was he actually, as you call it, uh, bumping Queen Bee? Or was he just under her, her hypnotic spell and thinks you know, thinks that they're together as a couple? Because she never acknowledges that. Now, she, she lets him put his arm around her at one point. But sort of like it, we, we saw in the Justice League issues where Jack-O-Lantern is basically under like a mental-slash-sexual spell of hers, where he's crazy for her and he, he, he wants her so badly. And she basically says no over and over. I wonder if the same sort of thing's going on here with, Cap- with with Major Force, where he sees them as a couple and she allows him to have that illusion, but nothing's really going on physically. Oh, that's pretty insightful. It could actually be that sort of that Major Force is seeing Jack O'Lantern as Queen Bee, and Jack O'Lantern is seeing Major Force as Queen Bee. And <laughs> hmm, hmm. I, I do like that he calls her her babeness. I thought that was hilarious. I'm sure you use that all the time. I, that's how I call my. That's what I call my wife. Quite right, she's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I love Captain Atom's supposed revelations about the JLI when he's having Jack O'Lantern on and he's going saying, Beetle is the problem child of the group. Right, that's wonderful. He's being very honest. Yeah, and as you say, good on Queen Bee. At least she cares about her people, or professors too. It, you genuinely get that feeling in this, so it, it is very nice. And sort of related to that, I like how they talk about the people and how they're mad at Captain Adam for killing their hero, one Jin and the Thunderer, you know, in a previous JLI issue. I'm glad they include that nod. Of course, Carrie Bates has been fantastic about including all kinds of JLI nods throughout all of his run here. Now, one thing that sort of like, I don't know, it it didn't sit with me incredibly well. Like, the, the whole concept behind Captain Adam being brainwashed by these waves that float through the air, which forced him to return to Bialya. Like, 
it's an interesting concept, but it didn't, I don't know, it didn't grab me. Maybe it's because the art was so dodgy. I don't know. Maybe that's why it makes it hard to swallow. But I, that's the one thing that I kind of went, eh, I like, I like the trigger. There's a, but almost, it would have made more sense if he had actually been like interrogated or something or locked up and hypnotized. But instead it was just little waves through the air at night. That seemed a little weird. Yeah, they can go all the way, all the way from Bialia across the Atlantic to the United States and target him. Hmm. Well, no, they, they targeted him while he was still in Bialia. The jack-o'-lantern sent the waves while he was still in Bialia at the hotel. And then he goes back to the United States and then he sees a commercial with Queen Bee. And just the act of hearing Queen Bee say, come to Bialia, that's what triggered it. It was like a, a hypnotic code word. So the rays only went within Bialia, but still, just the whole zapping him with a ray hypnotized him. That was a little weird. But then again, it's comic uh, book science. Yeah. Sh- it's comic book science. I shouldn't complain too much. Come to Bialia. Come to Bialia. <laughs> oh, that, thanks. That's going to be my nightmares now. Wonderful. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I'd, I'd say, you know, this issue, there was good action. There was a few laughs. It's a pretty good way to spend half an hour reading this comic. Yeah, I would agree. It, it feels very much a part of the Justice League International experience, you know, without it being JLI Bwahaha funny. It still feels like it's part of the uh, overarching story. So I feel like this is a, an important book that should be in most JLI collectors' collection. Because again, it's got obviously Captain Adams, it's got Bialya, it's got Rocket Red. It fits very nicely. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. Yep. That's all good, Bialya. All right. So, folks, you know, with the comic behind us, now we have to we have to get out the fisticuffs. We have to solve this out. It is time for the Pwahaha Award. This is where we're going to nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and Martin will pick a moment, and only one will be awarded with the coveted Bwahaha Award. Now, the part that's a bit tricky here is this is not Justice League International. So this is not a Bwahaha hilarious comic. So we've got to sort of slugfest through this and find what we think would be the funniest moment in this issue. Martin, you're the guest. What do you got? Shag is spot on my Floridian flippity gibbet. This isn't a JLI issue, so it's not going for the funny bones directly as those. But there's one there's one sequence that did make me laugh out loud. It's when Jack O'Lantern has Captain Atom in his power and he wants to know his secrets. Will Captain Atom submit? Oh yes, Jack. Yes, yes. The dialogue and the expression on our hero's face makes it seem that he's very happy to be leaned over by a powerful, cruel man in a full face mask. <laughs> I do like that scene because you know, Captain Adam's jaw is like extended, overly extended out and stuff. Yeah, it is a funny bit. Um, that's not bad. That's not bad. It is very funny. And mine is actually tied into it to some extent. Mine is not so much that scene, but I found it funny that Captain Adam was just gleefully, gleefully sharing his history because you know, he's being interrogated by Jack O'Lantern. And he just is so happy to share all his tidbits of history. But in reality, us, the reader, know what he's sharing is the complete bogus Charlton origin. So we know he's fooling Jack-O-Lantern the whole time. Jack-O-Lantern's you know, recorded three hours of this, and Captain, as you mentioned, the expression, the way Captain Adam is drawn, he's just so happy to spout all this. I found that very funny. So reality is, I, I think we're both kind of have picked the same moment. I think we all as one, so we're both winners. There we go. Well, I, not really us. It's Jack-O-Lantern and Captain Adam are the winners. They're the ones that are going to get our love, our joy, our laughter, and congratulations, gentlemen. Uh, the the Bwahaha Award is as tangible as our laughter, so where that would pride, gentlemen. <laughs> Now, folks, we've gotten to the part of the show where, thankfully, Martin's going to go away for a while, and uh, he's going to go kick out some house guests. Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron are out of the Scottish Embassy as the UK prepares for the horror of Brexit. They've been playing strip poker with Theresa May, Beefeater, and Godiva to see who gets whales, and it's getting a little bit argumentative. So, Martin, can you take care of that for us, sir? I shall do my best. I'll be back as soon as I've sorted out these bonkers Europeans. (laughs) 
And while Martin's getting that squared away, folks, I'm going to read your listener feedback in a segment called... Justice Log. Folks, and if you're listening to this episode just about the time of release, then I just want to tell you, Happy New Year. I hope your 2019 starts off great. You know what you can do to start the year off? You can go out on social media, use our hashtag, PoundFWPodcast, or tag us at JLI Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on the episode. Let us know your thoughts on Captain Adam, how he relates to the JLI, the spying, all of that. As I said earlier, folks, it's all about building a community of online JLI fans around this show. And remember, when you're posting your comments, if you're outside the United States, let me know, because we will assign you the appropriate embassy. And it's always good to know that, too, because if you're international, we have to filter iTunes properly to see reviews. And speaking of which, another great way to start 2019 off, or to even better, make a New Year's resolution to leave an iTunes review if you haven't yet. I'm just saying, I do the show, you leave the review, it's like two peas in a pod. It's perfect. And by way of example, I would like to thank David Cable. Now, I could be saying his name wrong because I'm terrible at pronouncing things. Maybe it's David Cabal. I'm going to go with David Cable. He left a wonderful review on iTunes and it says, Irredeemable Shag, praise be your name, sir. <laughs> That's a long-standing Fire and Water Podcast Network joke about Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Alright, so David writes on iTunes. He writes, Shag is doing the Maxwell Lord's work by showcasing the Giffen, DeMatteis, McGuire, and others era of the Justice League. Shag delivers a perfect show with fun segments, hilarious promos, and awesome games. Guests. It's great to hear about other people's experiences with the JLI. I just wish we could clone Shag and have him cover the whole 1980s DC universe. Seriously, the man's passion and excitement is second to none. I would say he's the Jerry Conway Jeff Johns of DC podcasts. I personally want him on everything. And then he signs off as your fellow Firestorm fan. Oh my goodness, David, you're just swelling my ego here. I don't know that I can take No, actually, yeah, I can take it. Yeah, bring it on, folks. The ego needs it. Feed the ego. Anyway, thank you so much, David. I sincerely appreciate that. Remember, folks, please go out to iTunes, leave a review. It really helps raise the profile of the show. All right, now we're going to move on to comments from our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. Also, emails we've received, social media, stuff like that. Now, I'm just going to be pulling bits and pieces of this stuff because you guys left so much feedback, we'd be here all day reading it. So let's get started with our feedback covering Justice League International, number 24, with our guest, Keith G. Baker. First person we heard from is a new listener, Lyman Cook. Welcome to the party, Lyman. Says, I just started listening to JLI Bwahaha Podcast. It keeps me company on the drive to the office. I'm loving it. Your enthusiasm makes the show a real treat to listen to. And he says, I want to buy the books to follow along with the podcast. If I buy the JLI Omnibus, will it cover the podcast episodes? Well, I already responded to Lyman personally, but for you folks at home, yes, if you pick up the JLI Omnibus, it will cover you through Justice League America number 30 and Justice League Europe number 6. After that, you can pick up the individual issues or get them on Comixology, however you want to handle it. So you probably got about another eight months worth of episodes that the Omnibus will cover. Um, now, I guess it doesn't really cover episodes like today, these meanwhile ones where we do Captain Adam 
more next months, but, you know, you're at least going to have all the JLI issues. All right, then we heard from another new listener. I'm going to butcher this name. Mail Morholt. I'm really, really sorry if I said that wrong. Mail Morholt from the Argentinian embassy. Mail writes, woohoo, I had an overdose of the JLI podcast today. Three episodes in one day. And finally, we are really international because he's on episode number seven. Because I think I'm talking like Shag, even here in the Argentinian embassy. Awesome podcast. Well, thank you, Mr. Morholt. Really appreciate that. Then I heard from my buddy Jose Rivera. He says, well, I've come to appreciate both Maxwell Lord's stories in this book. Let's be honest, we all came here for the party and recruitment drive. The famous, hey, those are cahoons moment is by far one of my top five all-time JLI moments that made me laugh so hard my stomach hurt. It's those silent panels before that really make it what it is. Because without them, guy breaking the silence when he gleefully pops up his head from the crowd doesn't work. It's a testament to comedic timing. Nothing made me laugh harder than this moment. Well, maybe another guy guard moment with a certain cat, but we'll cross that bridge later. Thanks, Jose. Great to hear from you. Then we heard from my buddy David Ace Gutierrez, executive producer of Pod Dylan, owner and operator of the Katana Banana, and a man I wish I never gave my cell phone number to because I get way too many late night sexting messages from him. David writes, great episode, though I must correct Shag on one point. He said Max and Fire were the only leaguers greatly affected by the gene bomb. That's sort of true. Metamorpho was brought back from the dead, or whatever state he was, by the bomb, and became a leaguer in this very issue. You know what? God, it pains me to say it, but David is absolutely right. So just shh, nobody tell him that I said that, all right? Thanks. Then we heard from Ryan Daly from the Fire and Water Podcast Network with shows such as Nightcast, Cheerscast, and many, many more. Ryan writes, The scene where the Cahoons bust down the door and the silent stare from all the assembled heroes, punctuated by Guy Gardner's reaction and the giant green fist, is an incredible moment in comic book storytelling. Easily the best Guy Gardner moment ever. Thanks, Ryan. Then we heard from Jeff R. He wrote in to say, Spider-Man used to have a, quote, world's greatest non-mutant superhero, end quote, banner for a while at the top of his issues. And I want to say Fantastic Four used the exact team version as this issue. You know what? You say that, Jeff, you're absolutely right. I remember that. That was during the McFarlane era where they used that same sort of catchphrase across the top that they did here in Justice League International Number 24. Good memory. Then we heard from my buddy Chris Franklin for the Firewater Podcast Network. He does shows such as the JLU cast he does with his wife, Superman Movie Minute he does with Rob, and many, many more. Chris writes, This one is a classic, almost exclusively for the membership drive party. Some of McGuire's best acting to date. I love how angry Batman looks in the panel when Guy realizes the party crashers are Cahoons. Now, is Bat irritated with Guy, or is he scowling at the alien invaders? Either way, it works. Personally, Chris, I like to think he's scowling at the Cahoons, but either way, you're right. It works both ways. I hated to see Hawkman and Hawkwoman leave with this issue. In fact, I kind of wish Shiera had stayed, and then we could have had Katar calling in and griping about the team he wasn't even on anymore. Plus, more Hawkgirl is always welcome. You're right about that, Chris. Chris goes on to say, I do fondly recall the scenes with fire. Hey, I was a teenage boy. Cut me some slack. <laughs> uh, and he says, the headshot for Wally the Flash seemed to have his nose miscolored red in my copy, as I recall, making him look even goofier than the Maguire lovingly drew him. Then we heard from Mick. He says, it never fails. I listen to a podcast featuring Shag and I end up spending money. <laughs> Not on psychiatrist bills or alcohol, but on comic books. After listening to this admittedly great episode, I had to seek out the Atlas of the DC Universe. Thanks a lot, Shag. I guess it's okay. My kids don't really need to go to college. <laughs> then Siskoid followed up with some information about Mick about an interview uh, Siskoid and I did with Paul Kupperberg about the Atlas of the DC Universe, which was a Mayfair Games role-playing supplement over on our Hero Points podcast. Awesome. 
Then I heard from my buddy Mark Baker Wright from Black Rock Toy Box. He says, I read this story in preparation for the episode. And as a side note, the Maxwell Lord bonus book is included in the recently published hardcover omnibus. Thank you for that information, Mark. He says, I definitely could tell that Firestorm was drawn off-model for what I knew had to be the blank slate era. Then stepping away from Mark's comments, he goes on to give a really interesting dissection of Firestorm and why he was off-model in the JLA issue. And he even comes up with this great retcon involving uh, Wave Rider and Armageddon Inferno. So if, if you're a Firestorm fan like me, go out to our website, firewaterpodcast.com, go out to the JLI podcast, episode 24, find Mark's comment, and you'll dig that again. If, if you're, It's really for diehard, nerdy Firestorm fans, which I happen to be. So thank you, Mark. I loved it. Then we heard from my buddy Jimmy McGlinchey in the Irish Embassy, and Jimmy always has the best jokes, so this is going to be good. He says, greetings from the jubilant Irish Embassy. Why jubilant, you may ask? Well, it's the big announcement of the Justice League Europe team, which will be based in Europe, of course. The logical place to have them based here in the Irish Embassy. Jack-o'-lantern has been out decorating the Embassy rooms, and the Irish Tourist Board is ready to have the world's famous heroes photographed alongside some of the most iconic Irish landmarks. Captain Adam at the Blarney Castle, the Flash at the Guinness Factory, Power Girl in the Majestic Burren. Wait a second. Here's the official communique from Max. Paris? Paris? You have got to be f- kidding me. Then there's sounds of furniture being smashed in a rage. And sometime later, Jimmy comes back and says, Okay, I've calmed down. Congratulations to Paris on being the new HQ for the Justice League Europe. I am sure they will be very happy there. Through the sound of grinding teeth. Anyway, on to the podcast. I love it, Jimmy. Thank you so much. Jimmy says, The first story, concentrating on solely on Max, was a nice breather, focusing on Max's recent past and the realization from Invasion Number 3 that it possessed the metagene. It was interesting to see the sentient computer was still alive and the resolution broadly wrapped up in the computer storyline until it was retconned many years later in the Justice League America Year 1 annual to be Kilgore, and thus led to the whole, quote, Maxwell Lord as Lord Havoc storyline. Given the complaints we had in the podcast about the whole issue of Maxwell Lord and Countdown to Infinite Crisis, it bears remembering that Max was treated much worse in the immediate post-Zero Hour JLA. Oh my gosh, Jimmy, I completely forgot about Maxwell Lord being Lord Havoc. Clearly, I must have gone to some sort of regression hypnosis therapy to get rid of that. Thank you so much for bringing that back, Mr. McGlinchey. Oh my gosh. Uh, Jimmy then goes on to say that the Justice League Europe group is very interesting and definitely has more star power than the Justice League America team, even in the term of books. There are three members of the new Justice League Europe, four if you're counting Wonder Woman, that have their own titles, whereas no one in the Justice League America, if you exclude Batman, was fronting their own title at this stage. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that comparison, I guess because we haven't dug into Justice League Europe yet. But yeah, the Justice League Europe folks really do have a lot more of their own titles. And that will be interesting how that plays out as we get into it because, you know, they're, they're having to balance their own title against the team book. I mean, it's always a struggle, which is part of the reason Justice League America probably made sure they didn't have any characters with their own books. Very interesting observation. Then uh, Ward Hill Terry followed up, of course, with comments saying, Power Girl at the Burren? Surely a shot at and a shot of. Power's Whiskey is more appropriate. <laughs> Thanks, Ward Hill Terry. Then we heard from Siskoid from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, uh, including shows such as FW Team Up, the upcoming Zero Hour Podcast, and many more. He says, God bless Keith G. Baker. Someone needed to say something about Shag's terrible pronunciation, and he wrote of Calhouns. And of course, I'm saying Cahoons, and everyone has an issue with the way I say it. And that's the way I say it, folks. And actually, that topic's going to come back up again. Then we heard from my good buddy, Tim Price, who, see, Tim and I have this arrangement. Tim writes these long dissertations, which I read to my daughter at night, which helps her sleep. Then I 
met Tim in person and I felt really bad about picking on him all these years in the podcast. And I had a lot of like, I don't know, internal strife and, and emotions and just felt really bad because he's such a nice guy. And uh, talking to him sounds like he's a great dad with his daughters. Then I got home and some time passed. And yeah, I don't care anymore. Now I'm going to be mean to him again. So heard from my buddy Tim Price and he says, great coverage of one of the best issues of JLI. He goes on to talk about the cahoons punching through the door. And he says, McGuire nailed that scene perfectly. One subtle part is seeing Hal Jordan's eyes in his mask, that they weren't just white. It wonderfully emphasizes the side look and much needed since Hal is in the forefront on the left. The first face we see as the reader in that panel. His face could have looked just a bit flat with a blank eye. It's wonderful. It's just all those same panels. Is that Power Girl holding a glass of diet soda? Hmm. And he says, props to Keith for some astute observations, especially in regards to Hawkman and Wally West as the Flash. However, I would apply the voice of the fans argument to Wally as well. Barry's The Real Flash was definitely a sentiment by many readers and probably still is today. Presenting it as older guys ribbing the young guy was subtle and believable. I was so glad Ralph continued this bit into Justice League Europe. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Then we heard from our buddy Uerton Vieira do Carmo from the Brazil Embassy. And Uerton, I am sure I slaughtered your name as usual. I am so sorry, but we always appreciate your feedback. Writes in to say, for me, it was this edition that Max became a funny character. In the previous stories, he was always a serious character, somber, even when he was on the good side. Then he says, uh, you mentioned extreme justice. In Brazil, there's a podcast called Terra Zero, and they had a debate to decide which was best, extreme justice or young blood. Oh, man, Uerton. That's, that's a choice of like bad all the way around. No one's a winner in that one. <laughs> anyway, it goes on to say young blood won, but there came a suggestion for a crossover drawn by Rob Liefeld and written by Dan Ford called Extreme Blood or Young Justice. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> Thank you, Uerton. Then we heard from Bradley Null. He says, great first half. Finally catching up with the show. Y'all are almost as funny as the books. Please note, I think Bradley uh, was emphasizing on the word almost. <laughs> then we heard from our buddy Chris Lewis from the UK Embassy. Chris writes in and says, the road less traveled, which was the first story with Max. He says, I love the clear lines of Templeton and Rubenstein's art. Those silent panels on page seven of Max discovering the body of his boss he nearly tried to murder, then doing the decent thing and giving him a burial of sorts is spellbinding storytelling without a single word or thought bubble in sight. You are absolutely right about that, Chris. He also says, Giffen and DiMatteis do an incredible job as well. They manage to tell a compelling story that demonstrates how Max has grown as a character in that tiny space that exists between the events of issue 11 and 12 and the more recent effects of the invasion gene bomb on Max. That's a very tight brief and they pull off a masterclass. Then as far as the bonus book went, he says, I can't believe you gave no love to the quote, who's watching my watchman gag on page one. That may be my bwahaha moment of the whole issue. Dude, Chris, you just blew my mind. I totally didn't pick up on that joke. Who's watching my watchman? That's absolutely a watchman joke that both Keith and I missed. I can't believe that. So good. Props to the guys from the bonus book. Then he says, setting up the Justice League Europe with the mugshots on a desk meme is a great lead into the new series. I'm excited to hear you cover their adventures next time. Thanks, Chris. We appreciate that. Then heard from Doug Van Diver. Doug writes, on the topic of pronouncing the alien race's name, it seems that the question, is the H silent, is better phrased as, why does our Roman spelling of it have an H? When we spell it out in our alphabet, it makes sense that we wouldn't just put silent letters in there for no reason. What I guess I'm saying is that since the DCU residents do spell with an H, that this could be evidence that Shag is right to speak the H out loud. Oh, oh, everybody, did you just hear that? Doug just said Shag might be right about Cahoond. And then there's a big, long conversation after that. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> then there's a big long conversation about the H and whether it should matter or not. And he gives some other examples of other aliens. Uh, and Siskoid and him get in the act, and they have actually a pretty good, interesting conversation about uh, dialogue and, and, and language and things like that. So either way, guys, I totally appreciate it. I say it my way because I'm trying to avoid saying it like other words. Uh, figure that out on your own. So I'm going to stick with mine. So then I owe Doug Van Diver an apology. I am so sorry, Doug. Doug actually asked on our website in the comments exactly where he should have which Captain Adam episodes he should read in preparation for this episode. I totally missed it. I'm so sorry, Doug. I should have responded. I blew it, man. So I apologize. But tell you what, just to give you a little tip in advance for next episode, you might want to read, I'm just saying, the Mr. Miracle series from the late 19. 19- 80s, written by J.M.D. Mateus, or at least he wrote the first eight or so issues. Also, Dr. Fate, J.M.D. Mateus wrote the first 24 issues of those. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about next time. If you care to hone in on Mr. Miracle issues number seven and eight, and Dr. Fate, I think number 14 and 15, probably, those are the ones we're likely to talk about the most. So a little sneak peek for you into the future. Hope that helps for next time. Then we move on to Zeb Oswald. He wrote an interesting backstory for Max. I remember him becoming important as the stories went on, buying the comics off the rack or at my favorite comic book store. Then he addresses the topic we were talking about with Power Girl and her haircut. Uh, We said it was a mullet. He says, well, based on that one exchange in Just League Europe, let's see, Power Girl? Nah, she has Bananarama hair, not a mullet. (laughs) Very interesting. I'm going to have to Google some Bananarama pictures to verify that. Then we heard from my buddy Adam Ackerman, who goes by Centara, and he's in the Denmark embassy, and Adam has, for the last several months, been writing us haikus. So let's see what he's got for us this month. He goes, oh no, three stories. Guess I shall write three haikus. Next month, I guess two. Let's see, so how many haikus do it? We get three more haikus. So technically, Adam, you wrote four this time? But anyway, he writes, metagene problems, return to the computer, help from Blue Beetle, a party downstairs, recruitment drive in disguise, a knock at the door. Uninvited guest, let's get ready to rumble. These the ones to join. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. We sincerely appreciate it. Then we heard from our buddy DC Dave. He says, another great episode. I've been lagging behind and finally catching up. Oi, binging Shag is rough. Hey, hey, what's that about? Thanks, Dave. Uh, then he says, just a point of clarification. Blue Beetle and Captain Adam were from Earth 4, not Earth C. Earth C was home to Captain Carrot. Dude, I thought Captain Carrot was like Earth C minus or something. Oh, well, obviously my memory's going bad. He says, for me, being a big Power Girl fan coming into this issue, I was ecstatic to see her joining the team. Thanks, Dave. Then we heard from my buddy Michael Bailey from the Fortress of Bailey Toot Podcast Network, and I was recently on his show for the Christmas episodes he did. That was a lot of fun. Michael wrote in to say, I'm about 10 minutes into the newest JLI podcast, and I wish Shag and Keith would just make out already. <laughs> Michael, who says we didn't? I'm just saying. Uh, then we heard from my buddy Alan W. Wright from the Robin Hood online resource Bold Outlaw. He goes, wow, I love the character arc of how Shag learns to pronounce Cahoons correctly. <laughs> this is never getting old, is it? And then he says, of course I'm joking. Cahundian is a Celtic dialogue where the letters don't quite have the same pronunciation as they do in English. And he goes on, he actually gives a fairly lengthy thing, which is great. It's all basically he's working a funny joke to change Cahoon into Klingons, because that is basically what they are. They're essentially Klingons. So it really worked out quite well. Thank you, Alan. I appreciated the laugh. Then we heard from our buddy Mike Zomkowski. He says, pour one out for monitor duty. Alas, poor monitor duty. I knew him well. Moving on, we heard from Jonathan Schaefer-Hames from the Married with Comics podcast. He goes, this, meaning issue number 24, is where I started reading the JLI originally. Awesome, Jonathan. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on the issues. Then we heard from my buddy Kyle Baker. He writes, as much as you advocate for Marvel Unlimited and digital comics, I suggest you change the wording around the Bwahaha Award to, it's as tangible as a digital comics bundle, or comics all 
anthology or something like that. Use your marketing brain to reword it in a way to tie it into digital comics. That's a pretty good idea, Kyle. I like that. I may steal that and then absolutely give you no credit. Then heard from my buddy Sean Ross from the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, including Marvel's Secret Wars and Beyond. He says, can't wait to see Wonder Woman as a featured character in the Justice League Europe. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. And then when I posted about Captain Adam, he says, I just reread that arc. I'm so glad you're discussing it. Captain Adam was a low-key great book. Wow, he he just reread the Captain Adam arc and we did a Captain Adam episode? It's almost like he's reading my notes or something. Then he posted an image of the Mr. Miracle series by J.M. DeMatteis, and he writes, I wish Shag would talk about this series on Justice League International Podcast. All right, that's it, Sean. What, do you got my webcam on or something? Stay out of my business. You worry about your little Secret Wars podcast, all right? (laughs) Actually, uh, Sean and Greg were kind enough to have me on the Secret Wars podcast just last month, where I got a chance to talk about X-Men for like two hours. It was awesome. I never get to talk about the X-Men. So this was a super exciting opportunity for me, because I loved that book growing up. I mean, die hard fan. Then we heard from David Cable again who wrote the iTunes review. He goes, I'm catching up on the episodes. I apologize for my lack of sharing or participating, but I'm here for good. I dropped off around issue 11, now currently on issue 19. And he made up a hashtag JLI podcast binge. <laughs> he says he loved episode 19 with David Gallagher, and our discussion about Guy's personality reminded him of the movie Silver Linings Playbook. And he says they should cast Bradley Cooper as Guy, and lastly, Hal Jordan is a douchebag. Dude, you're absolutely right. Hal Jordan is the worst. Then David says, I'm starting to become enamored with Bob LaPan's lettering. David, my only response is, starting? Really? Hmm. Okay. Then we heard my buddy Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, also a member of the Longbox Crusade, posted a picture of him jogging. He says, up in the wee hours of the morning, getting my exercise on to the smooth sounds of Justice League International podcast. Well, thank you, Jared. We appreciate that. Then we heard from my buddy Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network. and does a number of shows, including the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. He wrote in about the bonus book and Dean Haspiel, who did the art. He says Dean Haspiel drew one of his favorite graphic novels of all time, The Quitter. And then he wrote to Keith and said he almost finished with uh, the Just League International episode number 24, and he wishes Shag had abused Keith more. Well, believe me, Frank, I would have loved to have beaten on Keith for hours and hours more, but there's only so much time in the day. And then they had a very long conversation about comic book logos. It was interesting. All right, folks. This is the part of the show where we're going to thank everybody who promoted the JLI podcast on their social media timeline, meaning Facebook or Twitter. It's a long list of names. I say this every month. You already know this stuff. But these folks showed their support and promoted the show, folks. They are part of the machine that is getting the word out there and helping us find all these new listeners. A sincere thank you to all these folks. And, hey, you can be part of this list, too. Just go out there and retweet it or share it on Facebook, and I'll say your name. You're part of the family. This time out, we're looking at about 70 names of folks who helped promote the last episode. So, my thanks to Adam Stabelli, Al Girding, Blessed and Blacknificent. (laughs) Love that. Bowling Green State University Batman Conference, Bradley Knoll, Calum Nauer, Cash Flag, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, Comics for All, Dale Russell, Daniel Santana, David Cable, David Ace Gutierrez, Debbie Rangel, Diablo Frank and his account with the Rolled Spine Podcast. Dr. Ange, Dr. Jennifer Schwartz-Levine, Dylan Knows, Ed Moore, El Tio Gus, Frederico Hernandez, Grover L. Welch, Guano Man, Jack Rocha, Jay Powers, Jeremiah Parker, Jonathan Brown, Justice's First Dawn, Kichi Baker and Sports and Comics, Con L, Long Box of Darkness, Luke Dobb, Martin Gray, hey, who's that guy? Martin Kogan, Matthew Cody, Max Romero, and It's Plastic Man and the Mirror Factory. Mick Jameson, Nathaniel Devon Sanford, Nerdfict Strangers, Paul Hicks, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, and Rad Adventures and Xenozoic Xenophiles. Relatively Geeky, 
Rob Williams and Generation X-Wing Podcast, Rob Kelly and DigestCast and Rob Kelly Creative, Scott X, Sean Ross and the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Sherlock 28, Siskoid, Sphinx Magoo, The 108th Sage, The Bat Pod, Tim Price, Tom Panarese, Thomas Corsi, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Willie Yarbrough, and Zoom Yukonori. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI podcast. Your feedback is such a critical part of the show, folks. And I've been so thankful for it over the last several years, in 2018 especially. And really, th- this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely amazing. And it continues to grow. Y'all are the best. I love all of y'all. If I've forgotten or missed anyone, I am terribly sorry. It was probably Keith G. Baker's fault. Let's face it, it's absolutely Keith's fault. I mean, come on, it's Keith. So if we did miss you, please just drop me a note and let me know. I'll be sure to include you in the next episode. So please keep those cards and letters coming. Go to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave your comments on the show post. We're on Facebook as the Justice League International Blahaha Podcast. On Twitter, we're JLI Podcast. Or, of course, you can email us at jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Keith for helping me cover JLI number 24. And thanks to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback from that episode. Now we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. When we come back, we'll see if Martin has managed to handle his house guests. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. In 2018. Oh, we believe the secret agents had all that stuff, man. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. My son wants to bond over any kind of spy. Secret agent, man, Wild Wild West. My spy, man from Uncle. The Avenger, James Bond. Our man, Flint. Bonding agents, the father and son spy fi podcast. Your assets. Old dude, Bialy Frank. And the program's about spies and science fiction. Available to Shout Engine and the Internet Archive. It's not really something I think that most Americans could understand. Bonding Agents is a Rogue Spine podcast. 
All right, folks, we are back from break. And yes, it does appear that Martin has returned from his Brexit-initiated activities. Sir, are your house guests gone? They have. I've sent them away in the JLA teleporter, and it's dialed towards Apocalypse. Oh, wonderful. Excellent. Perfect. Those poor, poor folks. Oh, goodness. Well, Martin, thank you so much for being on this show. We have been, again, in communication for years. We finally had the opportunity to chat. It's been an absolute blast. I really, really enjoyed it. And, and, and you've been is a wonderful gentleman. I'm going to be sure to cut all of this in the editing. I don't want anyone to know I'm saying nice things about you, but I sincerely appreciate it. You are a true gentleman, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shag. It's been a total treat talking to you. Now, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? Well, I do a blog called Too Dangerous for a Girl, which generally I do a few comic strip, comic book reviews, usually after Wednesday of each week, about three or four perhaps. I like to have a few comments from people, so it makes it all the more interesting. And you can find me on Twitter, at March Gray, M-A-R-T-G-R-A-Y. Frequent comments on the Fire and Water Network pages, as everybody should be, and also on Facebook, so Hello. Maybe you should explain for the folks at home why it's called Too Dangerous for a Girl. Good man, good man. I usually do, and then I thought I probably do it too much, but yes, sounds like I'm horribly sexist, and in fact, Too Dangerous for a Girl, as probably a lot of Legion of Superheroes fans will recognize, is a quote that goes back to the earliest years of the Legion in adventure comics when Saturn goes told by Brainiac 5 she couldn't join a mission because it was too dangerous for a girl. This is Saturn Girl, who was Legion's first female leader and could whoop anyone's bottom. Now, does she say that she can't join because of it or Brainiac 5 told her that Brainiac 5 told her that oh he's such a jerk he is he is he didn't deserve Kara no not at all it was wasted on him wasted alright Martin Wolf again thank you so much this has been an absolute blast and now folks Martin will be back in like I don't know six or seven years when we get to the annual he has to be part of so <laughs> we'll get there eventually Martin I'll be there. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And you people at home, come back next episode when we once again step sideways and cover some other JLI-related items. Next time, we'll be talking about the JLI spinoff books, Mr. Miracle and Dr. Fate, both written by J.M.D. Mateus. Now, after that episode, we will begin our monthly coverage of both Justice League America and Justice League Europe. We'll be covering two issues each episode. Now, for the special Mr. Miracle and Dr. Fate episode, we will have two guest hosts to help me cover the topic. Who will they be? Come on, folks. You know how this works. You're just going to have to wait until next month. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Martin. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make make something something of it? it?